Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. Uh, this is it. We are here. This is our 2017 recap episode. We are going to be counting down our personal favorite films of 2017. I am Christopher Schneezy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. Every year, we create these lists. Um, whether you call them... I mean, I, the episode is officially titled The Recap Episode of 2017 because these could be our favorites. These could be the best films of the year. This could be whatever the, the list belongs to each of us. So... In normal fashion, let's go around the horn and everybody explain the context for their list and uh, how they decide on the films that they decided on. Stephen Miller. So I had an agonizing time this year. Uh, Chris got to watch me in the last like hour or two leading up to the podcast. I changed at least 70% of my top 10 list <laughs> just sitting there. Because um, for me, this was a year that... like. Like every year, I kind of go toward the end thinking, oh, you know, that year didn't have that many great movies. Like, this, this is going to be hard to come up with a top 10. And then I'll write my short list, and it's like, you know, way too many. This year, my short list wound up being 29 movies. And, like, that's just not fun to work with for narrowing down. So the thing I tried to balance this year was there are a ton of great movies. Some of them are great movies that everybody is talking about. They're going to be up for Academy Awards. And some are great movies that I think not a lot of people saw. So this year I kind of did like a 50-50 split of like top five are probably like my – these are just the best in terms of quality and everything. And I don't care whether or not everyone else voted for them already. And then like my you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, I'm more willing to like – give a smaller one a little bit of a bump rather than like just be the 80th person to praise the same movie. So I, I don't know. <laughs> this is like, it's a top 10, but whatever I write down is going to have nothing to do with this later. So it's, <laughs> it's, it isn't arbitrary, but it's kind of arbitrary. Gotcha. It's, 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 it's the, in crunch time. You go with what you have to go with and yeah. you publish. <laughs> well, and you also think like, what would I, what would I feel happier to have included? What would like make, make me feel more like I did my, good deed of like letting someone know about a movie they may have missed yeah um and then there are other movies that i'm not going to name because i don't know shit on anybody else's list but like it's like i can praise them but like yeah of course everybody knows that's a great movie yeah have have fun with that like there you go nine to go so <laughs> cards and patrick uh yes uh well first of all i just wanted to uh say something real quick i don't mean to derail this whole episode um and also don't mean to be out of the blue and shit but um i've decided that after this episode i'm uh i'm going out to the lighthouse um but i'm keeping the door ajar but i'm turning <laughs> in my podcasting badge for the time uh -oh. being hmm. um this is not this is not like a spur of the moment thing and i just want to you know Look, I know I'm already fucking this up because, like, I'm, I have to get serious that I'm not good at this. Um, <laughs> but, like, this wasn't, like, some, you know, big thing or, like, some Taylor Swift, Katy Perry feud going on. Like, there's no bad blood. <laughs> I, I assure everyone here, like, there's nothing personal. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I was putting this list together a couple months back and I just kind of had the thought of, like, you know, I think... I think this episode would be a good note to go out on. I think 2017 is a strong year. Um, but, you know, like I said, I'm leaving the door ajar because I feel like, you know, down the road, 
we got like Infinity Brunch. I feel like I got to weigh in on that. <laughs> Shit like that. But you know, yeah, like. He had to fight off the, the Marvel uh, whatever right, people. Right. We but need he, you to stop the hordes of blue aliens coming down from space. <laughs> right, right. Um, but you know, like, it's just. Uh, you know, there was a chunk of time, like a, a year or two ago, where I was kind of MIA, and um, I just didn't, I enjoyed being a listener, and then coming back later, and um, and I, I don't know, I just felt like it was time to shake things up and hand the reins over to somebody else for a while, or you know, and just enjoy being a, a listener again. So, uh, you know, also it gives me an opportunity to uh, to say. To say thank you, you know, for uh, for letting me come this far, and also for letting me come on board, because uh, I'm sure there were several times where Chris regretted it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been a, it's think, been a so journey. Listener, <laughs> listeners might not realize that. So, to most listeners, Carson has been here forever, but I remember the story of how Carson first started working with the podcast. Is that Carson and I went to high school together, and around like whenever prince of persia the sands of time came out <laughs> right right before then yeah yeah carson messaged me and, and said like hey can you introduce me to this chris guy i think the podcast would be fun and what started as a kind of fun one-off guest episode became carson as the primary and for many years sole co-host of uh, the spoiler warning podcast yeah. and i definitely hope you don't stay a stranger because i think the the dynamic between you and Chris, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It, like, look, so I'll great. probably, I'll probably be back next week. Who knows? But I just had the thought, like, you know, it's one of those thoughts where, uh, you know, it just it kept with me, and I was like, because I, I like to shake things up every now and again, and uh, you know, I don't like to do things for too long because it gets boring. I, not, you know, like that's again, like it sounds like I'm shitting on it, but I'm not. That's just like Sarah will tell you. That's just how I am. Like I can't do things like that. Anyway, this is now going on way too long. But yeah, like this is you know obviously um, I just that was something I decided, and I was like, well, I think it would be nice to let somebody else come in for you know for a while or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I like as as Stephen has mentioned, like this podcast would not have continued t- till now. If it wasn't for Carson, so obviously this is this is a a, a big thing for you, um, and obviously uh, support your decision and whatever you want to do. Um, as you said, the door will always be open. If you want to throw in surprise uh, drop in reviews into the Dropbox from time to time, um, right? As yeah. long as you as long as you get it in before I'm done <laughs> editing, uh, it will always be. <laughs> I, I'm always up for adding it to um, the the back even if it's like already published maybe i'll do a revised episode and drop in your recording right or i gotta dust off that phone line and sound like i'm in a a toilet again (laughs) (laughs) you still have the mic you don't have to use a telephone right right. i know there's a way better uh yeah way better avenue um but anyway top 10 um i uh you know, I mentioned that I had it done like uh, last episode pretty early on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a thing like I, I, you know, I like every year at the end of the year, I see a, a lot of top tens online and they always like because they always just make me angry. Like even if I agree with all the choices, 
<laughs> like it it's just I don't know something about top tens are just really stupid to me like there's just inherently kind of kind of dumb um and a lot of the times you know you get uh, top tens that are like just a, the same handful of movies that are recycled over and over um and that's not to say that like um that like I try to go out of my way to pick some like obscure shit um I just like I feel like in the last couple years I just kind of I started just gravitating more towards like oh like this you know I feel like a top 10 you should be like try to champion championing like a movie that that maybe not a whole lot of people saw but like you want people to see it like I you know I thought it was good <laughs> I told Steven before like I have to really emphasize that like there's no trolling whatsoever on this list. I legitimately like <laughs> all these movies. I'm sure there's definitely going to be a lot of eye rolling. Um, but like, that's just like, that's what I picked. You know, again, you can have X movie, but we all know that like X movie, you know, whatever year is awesome. Like everybody agrees that like, there's always those movies that are great. Um, so I just feel like instead of just saying those again, like I just like to be like, oh yeah, like this movie was cool, and I want to talk about that. Um, so I didn't like I didn't even like this year. I didn't even think of that I was just like, boom, boom, boom. I remember all like that, 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 and that that was it. Like I wasn't even thinking about like, oh, I should leave off this or whatever. But anyway, uh, that <laughs> that's it. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Top right, tens, um, man. Fucking, they're hard. So um, hard. I, I generally, and I think this is maybe a little bit of a trend um, for me, but I, I, mean, I, I always pick it as this is one of my favorite film-going experiences. It's definitely not always the best film that came out this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of time, it's times it's just a film that sat with me in an interesting way, or I walked out of that movie with just a smile on my face, or it spoke uh, deeply to me. And I think that every year when we get to the list, um, I make like the, the first few times we did it, it was a top five. And that was kind of like, I was happy with that because there was a little bit of struggling to make the top five, but that was it. And then mm-hmm. you guys pushed for a top 10 and it was hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> not because it was hard to weed down things. And it's not that I, I mean, I know maybe some comments on episodes recently have said that I've become sort of sour on a lot of things. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily it, but it's just there are some films that speak so much to me that when I put together my list, nothing else compares to that. And it's just it's anything outside of that could be interchangeable and not from the how do I pick this for the list, but just what would I why would this be on here other than anything else? It, it's the opposite of how can I cut one away? It's just why would I put one on and not the other? Right. I, um, and I mean, I, I understand that. Like in my list. I, there were a few types of films that I was going to just, like, not bother putting on just to make my life easier. And it, it turned out when I put those on, so my list became even shorter, it became easier to pick what I wanted to fill those higher slots. Because I'm yeah. like, okay, I know I can't get all of these, so why not just pick, like, the top of the top, the ones that made me feel a certain way? Yeah, yeah. And for me, I really just made a list of everything I saw, <laughs> put a yes next to everything that, like, I genuinely liked. And then, like, from that, I put a, a 5 or a 10 next to it to put those two slots. And then everything else just got cut off the list. And then I just sort of moved things around there. Um, but, yeah, so that is how we all chose our list. So without further ado, what do you say we get started, guys? Yep. All right. 
All right, so we're going to get started with our top tens for the list. And to try to keep it short, we are literally going to have a timer. Each of us gets 90 seconds to talk about the film. And then, you know, maybe 90 seconds afterwards for the rest of us to comment on it. Um, but we'll ditch those extra seconds if we don't need it. So, Stephen Miller, your timer starts now. So I'm going to include a preamble in this one because there's not going to be a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> um, I mentioned before that in my higher-up spots, I wanted to mention films that maybe were underseen, weren't normally the sort of thing that like would have been big enough or grandiose enough or whatever to you know, be listed on something, but that just had a personal resonance for me. And like, I think what we can all agree is the, quote, Stephen film from 2013, 2014, are like the heartfelt little indies that are just telling a simple story in a very kind of like compassionate way, like a, a way that really brings you into a small family. So a lot of options for this category. I'll mention them in my honorable mentions later. Uh, but the one I went with is a movie called Landline uh, by Gillian Robespierre, who made mm. Obvious Child a couple years ago. Uh, this is a movie starring Jenny Slade, Edie Falco, John Turturro. It's set in New York. It's just about like a coming of age of two daughters kind of trying to find their way while their parents are struggling with a kind of like a broken marriage, a marriage that isn't working. And this is just one of those movies that Chris and I walked into a tiny movie theater on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, went in expecting nothing, sat there. And like when I walked out of the theater, I was just like, that movie made me feel so nice. Like, <laughs> I love these kind of movies. And it's small it's never going to make a top 10 list of some big critics choice, but yeah. I think this is like a great movie to find on iTunes and just sit and enjoy. It's great actors doing great work. Jenny Slate should be in everything. And oh, yeah, that's great. all, that, that's all <laughs> the time I need. Uh, and, and, and anything to say about landline Carson? I, I liked landline a lot. Um, I also liked obvious child a lot. And I thought that uh, landline was even, was even better. Um, and it was weird that people kind of slept on it. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it because, like, there was a lot of, like, kind of tepid reaction to it. And I went in kind of thinking, like, all right, yeah, let's see. And I, I, you know, I was I was very surprised at how that it was as good as Obvious Child. Like, it was really a, a, a really great movie. Yep. Very, very um, charming movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think charming is the perfect word for it. It's, it's one that. I think Steven and I just went and saw on a whim <laughs> and we were just like, oh, it'll be fun. Like, why not? I don't even remember what came out uh, around the time it came out, but it was like, we didn't really go in expecting much, I don't think. And we hadn't planned. We, we didn't do a review of it, did we? No, we didn't. Yeah, I think I think it was just around a time where we were like, hey, we'll, we'll go see it. And we both walked out and looked at each other. And we're like, that was good, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it was fun. Um, yep. So, uh, now with that, let's move on to your number 10, Carson. And, and I have, go. okay, before you start the timer, because I just remembered, and I'm just, uh, I'm stupid, I can't, I can't remember these things, but the, 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 the thing about this list, the main thing, uh, the theme, I guess, to say is that they are, the theme is basically all horror movies, because I thought that this year was a really, really strong year for horror movies and uh, genre movies in general. So, like, it's not completely all horror. It kind of started off that way, but then it morphed into just mostly horror, some other genre stuff that has horror elements in it. So that's just... That was my other preface, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to name ten horror films in my head I right think now. I, can, I think I got at least four of them in my head that Carson <laughs> might mention. Yeah, so with that being said... Um, I kind of spoiled this one a couple episodes ago to Chris, and we're going to start off really strong. 
Um, and this was a late edition. So number 10, I had to give it up for uh, the Netflix joint Bright. Uh, Will Smith, <laughs> Joel Edgerton. Oh um, I, if you spoiled that for me, I, I don't think I read that as truth. I thought you were joking. <laughs> I told Chris because we may, we were going to review it possibly on the Omnibus episode. And I was like, I think, well, let's save that for the, the top 10. And you kind of laughed. And I was like, no, I'm serious. Like in my head, I was like, I'm serious. This is going to be a number 10 movie right here. Um, because I, I saw Bright. Look, I was excited for Bright. Um, you know, I was probably like one of the few people who stood up for uh, Suicide Squad and I'm really digging the new David Ayer, uh, the hot topic, Cholo-infused uh, <laughs> David Ayer. Uh, I'm digging that, and it's extended into Bright, uh, which got reamed, just just reamed by critics. Um, but I love how Netflix's response to that was just like, we're making Bright too, motherfuckers! <laughs> and it was like, uh, so, and that was fun. And it's funny because if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is like a 90%. Like, people are people are down with this movie, and, and it really is a fun movie. Like, it, it's so not, it's so of, like, the aughts. Um, it's very classic Will Smith. He's got the charm up to, like, 110. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Anyways, uh... <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to do this within the time limit. <laughs> Joel Edgerton is the orc. He's great. He's playing a sensitive orc, and uh, it's just tons of action, and uh, it's a fun time. I saw it. We Sarah and I watched it twice the weekend it came out, and uh, I'm down with like all the, the world building and the, the craziness of it. I'm ready for Bright 2. Uh, it's a lot of fun, you know? Like, it's just, it's great to see Will Smith in, like, this kind of role again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously didn't enjoy Bright as much as you, but here's the thing. If this wasn't swing for being, like, a film, if this was the exact same quality, and it was just another one of the shows that Netflix was running, I think people wouldn't complain as much. I think for some reason that, like, it being a film to stack up against like a bunch of these other Netflix films that have been coming out. Like I, I feel like it's been graded in a weird way where if it was just another um, version of one of the, like, you know, the little Marvel series that they keep putting out, like I think people would probably be more lenient on it. I mean, that's just that I could be a hundred percent wrong. Well, I just you mean feel like, the, like the critics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if yeah. it was like, Oh, is this another? Well, cause the audience, show? like the, the people, like the reaction by just audience or people who've watched it, has been like highly positive and then the critical reaction it's like there's a very big split between just the people who've watched it and the and the critics so that was kind of kind of interesting yeah 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 I, I have nothing to weigh in on i haven't seen it all i've seen is the like overwhelmingly negative critical reactions <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has been very unanimous you know like suicide squad it's been one of those things where everyone is just like hell remember how bright is the worst movie of 2017 yeah and i and honestly i think you know suicide squad is not a perfect movie it, it's a real hot mess but uh and i i think bright is a much stronger movie a uh, more cohesive movie um but it has that same flair and everything and that's what really i think uh got me excited for it and it delivered on on that and uh i'm like i said i'm ready for the sequel i'm ready for them to do like bright three bright four whatever i'll be there to watch it bright bright for life bright for um, life saturate. Yeah. exactly <laughs> but uh yeah so i uh yeah 
<laughs> uh, with that, I will move on to my number 10 film of 2017. And of course, it is Landline. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I wouldn't have put it if I knew you were going to put it. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe maybe it's just because Stephen and I had a mandate on it. Maybe it's just because Jenny Slate is so awesome. Well, I think uh, this is like the, a unique example of there being two, the only two li- only two top ten lists to include landline <laughs> because I haven't seen it on any other top ten list. Like, but it's good. <laughs> Before, I told Stephen that like when I made my list originally, I put my top three, my bottom two, and then filled in the rest later. <laughs> and landline was always going to be my number ten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah uh, I'll, I'll i'll defer my extra time for later i guess since we've already mm. talked about about it a little bit but yeah it's a fun movie and people should rent it or check it out or do whatever yeah there's a consensus pick for you <laughs> all right so that was all of our top tens for 2017 let's move on into our number nines Stephen miller why don't you get us started all right so con- continuing with my trend of like backloading the kind of smaller movies. Um, This year I saw a movie about a man with an uncertain past who deals with his mental and social problems by making a big, crazy movie, which he takes seriously, but against all odds, becomes a cold favorite for how crazy it is. No, I'm not talking about The Disaster Artist. I'm talking about a movie called Brigsby Bear, uh, (laughs) starring Kyle Mooney. Um, This is like... So it, it stars Kyle Mooney. It was made by a lot of the Lonely Island crew, uh, at least from the cameos that I saw. Uh, and this is just like, I don't want to reveal anything about the plot because this is such like a crazy movie to go in blind. It's like, I'm going to ruin a little bit by saying it's a little bit like Room and a little bit like Frank and a little bit like, <laughs> a, it, it's a little bit like a bunch of different movies. Um, This is just like a very quirky movie with, it, like it, it moves to the beat of its own drum. It isn't trying to be anything else. And it hits like some real pathos and some real heart by the end that you are not expecting at all. Uh, it also makes me rescind my belief that Mark Hamill is a terrible actor. It turns out Hermit Mark Hamill can be a great actor. You just don't put him in Star Wars anymore. So, Brigsby Bear probably got the plane bump, but I, I thought this was a great movie. It's another one I really didn't hear anything about this year. So you're check welcome. It out. You're welcome. Boom. I don't want to take too much. I don't want to take credit, but I did. I did recommend it to Steven. Yeah, maybe he, he heard about it before, but uh, no, I, I went off of Carson's recommendation. I yeah, mm-hmm. I I pitched it to him as um, I don't even know what I said. I think it was like if if Room was a comedy or something. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I was very surprised by it too. It's funny because it's the one movie this year that Sarah and I disagreed on uh she hated that movie uh, i i liked it though uh but i didn't really get didn't really get in a big fight about it because i was just kind of like i mean i didn't think it was the it greatest... wasn't a place beyond the pines no it wasn't a place beyond the pines dude uh that was brutal um <laughs> that almost ended our relationship uh <laughs> but um but i don't know because like brigsby bear is i liked it i definitely liked it i wouldn't have put it on a top 10 but uh i i think kyle mooney is is hilarious i think him and beck bennett are like the funniest people on snl right now the shit they do is like next level of uh compared to the rest of the stuff on snl and uh yeah i didn't know anything about it i went into it i was very surprised i kind of teared up at the end i think it's a great movie about uh like making things um yeah, I, I liked it a lot. So, 
Well, it sounds like I have to check it out. Uh, I did not. Um, just seeing the poster, I unfortunately wrote it off whole cloth. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, uh, I should have given it a chance, and maybe I will. But for now, do you want to, Carson, move on into your number nine? Yes, I'll try to be quick. Um, this is a movie called uh, The Evil Within, which came out earlier in 2017 and uh there's some backstory to this movie it's a horror movie um and it's directed by andrew getty who is the grandson one of the grandsons of j paul getty senior um and he used his uh getty fortune to finance this movie um and it it earns the uh hard to be a god award this year because he took about 15 years to make it and he died two years before it was released unfortunately um, so this movie started filming in 2002, so it stars some very 2002 actors like Sean Patrick Flannery and Dina Meyer, so, um, it's a, yeah, it's an old movie, it finally got released this year, though, um, uh, but it's about a, uh, it's about a, uh, a mentally ill guy who starts, he sees his reflection in this mirror in the house that they live in, and, uh, the, the reflection is like a, a demonic force that starts uh, possessing him and making him do horrible things. And uh, it's uh, it's a crazy movie. It's it's kind of it. I was really impressed by it because a lot of the effects and stuff are done. All of the effects are done all like in camera. Uh, and um, it has a very like Hellraiser Clive Barker feel like where the I feel like it really kind of taps into like what makes nightmares and stuff scary. It's a it's a real interesting watch because like Andrew Getty apparently also kind of funneled his mental illness or his uh, kind of demons into this movie and it just kind of feels like a very it's a very passionate personal project and uh, uh, so it's kind of low budge but it, it it pays off in like the sheer kind of creativity and passion behind it and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of really great like imagery in it and stuff uh, so. Uh, go seek that movie out. It's uh, it's really good. So, the Evil Within. I think it's on Netflix now. I don't know. I've, I've not seen it. Uh, Stephen, yeah. have you seen it? I, I haven't. It, it sounds interesting though. The way you talk about it, it sounds a little bit like outsider stuff, like like listening to Daniel Johnston or something, right? Like a person right. who's tortured and is kind of like putting yeah. their tortured feelings on the screen. Right. Kind of exactly. an interesting comparison to Briggsby Bear if you, <laughs> if you yeah. think about. It. No, I'll, I'll check it out. All right, so my number nine is a film that I saw sort of on a whim. Uh, I was at the Fat House watching a film as part of the Fantastic Fest screening that they were doing here in the city. And uh, from the theater, I after the guy sold it to me, I booked my ticket from the seat before it started and came back the next day to watch this film. And that is Brawl and Cell Block 99. Um, this, this was sold to me as like an exploitation film. And what I got was actually a really interesting character piece that obviously has a bunch of crazy brawling or whatever. Um, but what I really loved about it is it's a story that starts with the man getting fired from his job, finding out that his girlfriend's cheating on him and like having to start selling drugs back to an old thing that he was doing before he went legit. And uh, things just spiral out, spiral out of control from there. When you watch the trailer, you think that this is going to be a story of just like this rough and tumble guy who just like walks around beating the shit out of people. Like, like half of the trailer is him just beating the shit out of a car. But He's a really complex character who has um, a really amazing um, 
just like he has this moral code and like even though he's like doing things horrible things to a lot of people like this moral code shines through and everything he does is for a reason and he has this matter of fact way that he looks at his situation and i was just very very impressed like i went in to see um something that was just going to be like fun and silly and like crazy people getting beat up and what i got was like a story that i really genuinely cared about and was really impressed by vince vaughn's performance in it uh, so Carson, I, I assume you saw this movie, right? Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. This movie is so rad. It's a, it's a <laughs> t- totally awesome. Um, did you? I don't know if you guys find because if you remember, Bone Tomahawk was on my list a couple years back, and S. Craig Zoller. That was his first movie, and like when I saw that, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I wasn't expecting much more than just like this sounds cool. Um, and it, man, it surpassed my expectations, and and this did too. Like, also, he comes up with some really great titles. Also, like, just it, they just sound so badass. But uh, yeah, Vince Vaughn is great in it, and it's really funny. Like, I feel like he just has a really, a really unique style. And um, yeah, it's like it, it is very like you know, it's billed as this exploitation movie, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Tarantino-y thing where like you know he has this idea, but really it's like kind of all the action is like at the end and the rest of it is just build up and great character moments. Um, and when the brawling happens, it's fucking brutal, man. <laughs> like it's so good. Like it, I feel like it's worth the wait and you like are definitely fist pumping with it. And really it's, it's a really, really good fun time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it sounds great. I really, I wanted to check it out. I missed it when it was in theaters. It looks like it's streaming now, so I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah, I, I feel like I texted you when it was streaming, and I said, you should watch it. You did, you did, you did, you did. Yeah. It must have just, like, slipped my mind in my list of things to cram at the end of the year. Yeah, it was one that I, I like, I like when I saw it, I walked, like, it's it's a totally a thing that I would put on my list, where it's like, I walked out, and I was like, oh, I wish we were doing a review of this, because I really, yeah. really like this movie. Yeah, but the, the, and the, the only criticism I had about the movie was, like, it looks terrible like well the opening at least like the first it looks almost like the entire movie was shot as like day for night right it looks it's 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 really cheap looking um which is weird because bone tomahawk was also really low budget but it looked it looked amazing it looked like a a studio movie um but it was so it was kind of weird that it that, that this one had like a really just cheap look and i guess that was intentional to try and get like the uh the grimy like exploitation feel but uh i don't know it looks like in the beginning i was worried but once vince vaughn goes to prison um it, it it gets better it doesn't look as bad um and obviously you know from then on it's okay but like man i was really thrown off in the beginning because i was like because i hadn't seen the trailer and i was like this is what it looks like oh shit <laughs> yeah, uh, that opening shot where he like arrives at the tow truck company looks yeah like the projector's broken. <laughs> yeah, it looks so. It looks like they left the like 3D filter on. That's like too dim or something. You're just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's not. But every like the writing and the acting is so strong that that for that first half of the movie totally makes up for it. So yeah, cool. Uh, so should we move on to your number eight, Stephen? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Okay, so this is the last on my list of pretty small things that a lot of people maybe didn't catch. Uh, Let's imagine that Vince Vaughn, instead of getting in that brawl, him and all of his buddies in the prison yard decided to like go in a big circle and talk about their feelings about their absent fathers for a documentary crew. 
Uh, that's a movie called The Work uh, that I just caught very recently uh, by Jarris McLeary, and I don't know how to pronounce the other guy's name. Uh, but it's basically a documentary looking at very, very intensive group therapy sessions for people in Folsom Prison serving, like, life sentences for murder and all sorts of stuff. And they're basically, like, talking in a circle with non-ex-convicts who go in to try to, like, learn a lesson about their life. And this is one of those documentaries that, like, sometimes you watch a documentary and you forget that there's a camera. And sometimes you watch the documentary and you the whole time you're thinking, like, this camera is in front of people and they are performing the shit out of themselves for the camera. This is a movie that's, like, you're, you're just watching a bunch of big, brawny dudes who have done terrible things try to, like, project their emotions <laughs> in front of each <laughs> other. It's... It, it isn't always, like, heartfelt. Some of it is, like, cheesy. Some of it feels very kind of AA and kind of oriented on a higher power and, like, buzzwords that don't feel quite right. But, like, you're just watching these, like, big, brawny dudes, like, bare their soul and tear <laughs> up and cry. And th this this had what a lot of movies this year had for me, which is just that, like, that stronger feeling of, like, watching a big guy choke up and not be able to take it anymore. And I, I, I sat with it for a long time, and it just... I, I don't know. It, it's crept up on me a lot. So I think this is a super interesting documentary to watch just to see how people in prison like deal with being there. Were you able to catch this one, Carson? I, I have not seen this. I actually uh, haven't even heard of it, um, uh, but it sounds interesting. And so I can't weigh in, but I will just to since we're talking, you're talking about documentaries, I'll offer up one of the few documentaries I saw this year, which I thought was really good, which I had on my list initially but i took out which was a movie a documentary called haunters the art of the scare which is all about uh people who put on haunted houses uh either professionally or like uh amateur like at their house and stuff and it follows a bunch of different very interesting like very eccentric characters um and uh yeah it's it was it was uh it was really it was really good. It's like it's literally like an uh, uh legitimately like an Errol Morris level documentary. There's a lot of really eccentric characters that feel like they're stripped from a real from a movie. Um and uh yeah, it's uh, I think it's on Netflix now, so I would say if you're give that a watch too. There was um I don't know if you guys saw the movie The American Scream. That was also a documentary that came out a couple years ago about a guy who put on his own haunted house every year, but that was just about the one guy. But like, it's kind of like that. Um, um, but this is about a, a, a bunch of different people and, um, they're all, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to watch. So interesting. Well, so was... my, my, my final pitch for the work is if you watched startup and you liked watching this person who could burst at any moment, try to tame his feelings and sit down and talk about them. This is basically the real life equivalent of startup. This is like, mm. how would that go down IRL? Yeah. Is there uh, toothbrush uh, stabbings or anything? No, but there, <laughs> there is violence in it. Some at shakes. least outbursts of violence. Gotcha. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, I actually don't think I caught any documentaries this year. I think the only documentary, if you can call it that, that I watched was American Vandal. <laughs> I, you uh, <laughs> Carson, what was your number eight film? Um, okay, so this was a this was a movie that uh, I I saw on a on list that the AV Club had f f around Halloween time um, of lists of you know like uh, best movies to watch at Halloween, and I always click on them because it's usually movies that are 
like so obvious. And you're just like, come on, like really challenge me here. It was like the orphanage. It's like, yeah, we know that that, you know, it's movies like that where it's like, yeah, you've heard of them and stuff. Uh, but they had this movie on there called uh, Boys in the Trees. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting because I, the, the only thing it said was, or the first sentence that I read was Halloween 1997. Um, and that was it. I was like, okay, I don't need to read anymore. <laughs> um, That's uh, the whole description? Well, no, that was the first sentence, but I didn't, oh, okay. I didn't read beyond that because I was like, okay, I'm sold. And then I was extra sold because I found out that the director, Nicholas Verso, uh, is Australian and this is his debut movie. And if you're Australian making a debut movie, you know, it's nine out of 10 usually going to be fire. So I was like, we got to watch this. And it was on Netflix. Um, and so, yeah, we, it's a coming-of-age movie, and that's all I'll leave at that takes place on uh, Halloween in the 97, and it's uh, it's just, it's great. It's a really awesome movie, and um, it's a really intense movie. It's a really hardcore movie, because it's made by an Australian, and they always go super hardcore. Um, there you go. The only thing I was going to say was, um, you know, it's kind of like in the vein of like a... Uh, like Andrew Dominic or John Hillcoat or uh, David Michaud, Justin Kurzel. Like, these are all, like, Australian guys who kind of came out, you know, in the last 10 to 15 years. And, like, they just, like, those are the ones that, like, you got to just, you watch and then you just, you're along for the ride because they just keep putting out really great stuff. I feel like this guy is in the same vein. Um, so, yeah, just get ready for a really intense movie, but it's a, it's a good movie. So I'm actually, I didn't watch it yet, but I'm familiar with it because I saw an AV Club list that was like the best films that we didn't review in 2017. Mm. And that one jumped out at me just that the still from the trailer is a kid on a bike wearing a clown mask. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it has this <laughs> very... Steven scared of. Yeah, it has a very disturbing undercurrent that it it seems really interesting. So I'm definitely interested in checking this out. Yeah, I wish uh, Nicholas Verso had directed uh, It. Because then it would have actually been good. <laughs> it would have actually been scary. So I guess uh, we could assume that it is not in the rest of your list. <laughs> hell no. That would be a hell no. Hell no. Yeah. All right. For my number eight, um, I, I, looking at the list of things that I really, really enjoyed during the year, I sort of debated whether or not there was going to be a superhero film that was going to make it on my list. And uh, after some time, I weeded it down to the obvious two choices, um, at least obvious for me. I know for uh, Carson over there, Justice League is obvious for him. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but for me, it came down to one of two. And the one that I put on my list is, of course, Logan, um, which was a film that I really was just excited once again to go in and see some crazy action with <laughs> Hugh Jackman just cutting the shit out of people finally in, in an R rating. And what I actually got was a really touching story that is an amazing send-off for a character that uh, he has been playing for God knows how many years it's been. but uh, 17 it's, it, or something like that. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing to see somebody play this character both successfully and unsuccessfully, or, or I should say play it successfully but in unsuccessful films, and then finish off his run with just an incredible film that tells an incredible story. And uh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't make it to the Alamo black and white screening of it, um, which I was sad about. But uh, just the normal, the no normal color version <laughs> makes my. I, list I forgot they did that. <laughs> at number eight. Yeah, I uh, Logan was definitely an honorable mention for me. That's like, 
It was really good. And here's the thing. I thought it was really good, and I watched it on a really crappy back of an airplane seat screen, and it was edited for content. Oh, so, no. like, oh, I, knew, I knew even when watching it, like, I have to rewatch this in its original form because this is so good. Yeah. And I kind of regret that I haven't done that yet. But even, even as it stands, even tamed down, just getting a hint of what it was, that, that was an awesome movie. So, yeah, yeah solid choice. Really cool seeing uh, Wolverine turned into kind of a dark, brooding Western character, like kind of a gothic thing. It, it was cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could go back and listen to to us talking about Logan. Um, I wasn't too hot on it, but I did I did like it. Uh, I think purely for the fact that um, it was a cathartic movie. Like it was great seeing Hugh Jackman finally say a bunch of f bombs and f- <laughs> stab a bunch of people with his claws, and you got to see like the actual results of that. So yeah, but that, even like just his relationship with Patrick Stewart is like really really interesting like these not only <laughs> has this guy been playing this character for this long but like the characters in the context of the film have like been together on so many journeys that just like watching them in their old age and sort of like everything falling apart is truly it's the 45 years of uh, superhero <laughs> movies obviously yeah no i mean hugh jackman i think for me that was what made me at least have to give it some props because he literally carried that movie on his back and was just like, you know, I'm going to go out strong. And I feel like he finally did, you know, he's not going to have to come out and apologize and be like, okay, next time we're going to get it right. You know, he's finally going to, it's like, it's a good Wolverine movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I believe that brings us to Steven's number seven. Uh, Yeah. So for number seven, uh, I chose the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected by Noah Baumbach. Um, I'm a sucker for Baumbach movies. I think I've I've just established that by now. I love his sensibility. I love that he writes what he knows and he doesn't need to go outside those lines. Um, in this case, what he's writing about is a dysfunctional family headed by an old, extremely scenery-chewing Dustin Hoffman um, with children Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler. Uh, and Elizabeth Marvel, kind of like adult children trying to cope now in the world that their father has left for them. Um, It's about the family kind of coming together for the holidays, surrounding him as a certain incident occurs. And it's just really, it's very Bombach, but it's like he softens it a little. It's It has the biting edge and the kind of family drama that Squid and the Whale did, but it also has a little bit more of the softness of, like, the Greta Gerwig-era Bombach. Um, And it has a lot of pathos. There's a song, which I hope Chris drops in for this, uh, that Adam Sandler and Grace Van Patten play called Genius Girl. I teared up when this song came on. And you don't know these characters yet. This is like in the first 20 minutes of the movie. And it's just, the editing is great. There are so many scenes that like Adam Sandler is about to break out shouting and it just cuts away the moment he starts to shout. Uh, it it just builds up to a really good climactic moment. And I, I just loved spending time with these characters. So it's a small movie in scope, but I thought it like, it really stuck with me. And the quality bar for this was just solid. 
Now, did Chris, did you did you get to see this? Because you hadn't seen it yet. So unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, see it uh, over the last week. I had like a list of like, <laughs> like my list of things that I missed that I wanted to see was bigger than my short list for <laughs> my top 10. Um, and it was on there, but I just I just didn't make time for it. But it's one that I it's one of the ones that I will pri- prioritize on my list to watch um, hopefully very soon. I think you you liked while we're young, so I think you would dig this. It's it's closer to that mood, I think, than any of his other movies. Yeah, your, your description of it sounded a little bit like while we're young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a Noah Baumbach stand, so I've liked all of his movies, and this one I thought was up there with one of, with some of his best. And uh, yeah, it's great. Like I know I kind of talked about it uh, recently when we talked about Killing of a Sacred Deer, um, but yeah, it's. Um, I just I love seeing I love seeing uh you know Adam Sandler do the drama and I think Adam Sandler is always great like I'll I'll continue to watch his comedies like when they come to Netflix and stuff like I always think Adam Sandler is underrated and he pulls out like a Meyerowitz stories and you're just like man like Sandler is always good like he's always you know he's funny in his comedies and like he's great in the drama stuff and uh yeah I hope he does you know more dramas and just more movies than in general, so but yeah, it's yeah, a it's a really the, great movie. I I don't want to sell Ben Stiller short too. I think he had a great year, like including this. I I didn't love the movie Brad Status, but I think Stiller in Brad Status is really really good. I think he's just found this this good character of the kind of not quite at ease with himself middle aged man. He he really knows how to drive that and make you like be always a little annoyed with him, but never enough to go off board. <laughs> you kind of feel where he's coming from, and I think. I think he can really play this for all it's worth. Yeah, I mean, Stiller Stiller was great, too. And I think, you know, him and Bombach work really well together. So that was kind of uh, like, I was, you know, not to diminish his performance, but like that was kind of going in. I'm like, OK, well, obviously Stiller's going to be great. We've seen that in, in in his previous movies and stuff. So but uh, yeah, yeah, Sandler I, and Marvel are definitely the the revelations here. Yeah, I see them working together for the first time. Um, and like I said, the scene where Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman go to like all the different restaurants is like one of the funniest scenes. Probably my favorite in the movie, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's good. Cool. Well, uh, do you want to move into your number seven, Carson? Oh yeah, it's, um, I'm on me now. Um, okay, so. This is another Netflix original. Um, there were there were a lot of great like horror comedies that came out kind of all within a month of each other. Uh, there there were four of them, and I I had to pick one to put on here. But I'll just briefly say like the other three were uh, Happy Death Day, Little Evil, and uh, Better Watch Out, which was also the debut of an Australian director. So you know it was good. Um, but the one I'm picking is The Babysitter, which was uh, dropped onto Netflix in October. And uh, this movie is... Uh, I, I saw the poster for it. It was like a retro kind of poster. And I was like, I'm in. I want to see this. I kind of heard about it before. Um, I'd heard that, of all people, McG directed it. And I was like, that's kind of cool. We'll see what he does with a horror comedy. Um, and this movie just, this movie, like, probably the biggest surprise of the year for me. Like, I, like, I, I didn't know this McG existed. I, like, I, I was shocked. Like, I couldn't believe that he even directed it. Like, I know that, like, Char- like the Charlie's Angels movies are, are, like, dumb fun, you know? 
But like the, you know, he's given us like some like pretty, pretty mediocre movies like Terminator and that Kevin Costner one or whatever. Like there's been some, there's been a lot, there's been a long streak of, of, uh, of, of no winners, you know? Anyway, check out, if you want to look, if you're in the mood for a great horror comedy, check it out because it's like a, um, it's like an Edgar, I'm dead serious, like, I'm not, not exaggerating or joking, <laughs> it's like an Edgar Wright level, uh, quality movie. Like, I, like, there's, there's this, like, crazy horror movie from the 80s called Society, and if Edgar, this, this movie is like if Edgar Wright did a remake of Society, um, like, it's, it's literally that good, and the, the main girl in it is the girl from, um, Three Billboards, who played, uh, John Hawks's girlfriend, mm-hmm. n- 19-year-old girlfriend, the zoo um, girl, right? Yeah, the zoo girl. Okay. So she, she's the she's the lead. She's the babysitter, um, and uh, yeah, like I won't give anything away. But yeah, just know that it's a it's a crazy throwback horror comedy. I'm still shocked that like this McGee has been hiding somewhere. I don't know why he didn't like. Where's this McGee been hiding? I want to see more of it. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with uh, Happy Death Day, and if this is of the same like vein but better, then uh, it might be something I'll have to check out. Yeah, it's definitely in the in the same vein as that. So, I, I think I watched the trailer, and it was the type of movie that I thought you would laugh and think that I was expecting to like. Because <laughs> I feel like I've watched the trailer, and now now you've like broken me for watching horror movies. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't watch the trailer for this. I like I said, I just saw the poster, and it was like a retro. Uh, it's style. like an almost famous looking poster, right? Yeah, it's like a it's retro like a girl in sunglasses. Right, right, and it looks kind of hand drawn, and I was like, all right, this is that's cool. I'm in. So, yeah. My number seven film of 2017 is Coco. Um, I I. Did not expect anything um, from it. I feel like lately um, Pixar has been a little hit or, hit or miss. And just the the film didn't seem like something that exists in what I consider the Pixar universe. Um, and I was sadly mistaken or pleasantly mistaken. I don't know, whatever the, the appropriate uh, terminology was for it. Um, but yeah, I, I went in, had an amazing time. I actually found myself really drawn into the story. Um, Pixar seems to suffer from a thing sometimes where they try to put things in that are just to make the kids laugh, like usually talking dogs or little things where it's like the film would be great, but instead they put in like or it would be great on its own, but they add these little things to make kids laugh and it takes away from my enjoyment of the film. Even the things that were supposed to be those, like the little pinata creatures, um, the, like I, I like them all. <laughs> it, it was a film that uh, I thought was a very touching story. It made me think a little, a lot about uh, remembering of the dead, uh, which <laughs> obviously is an important part of the story. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just I thought it was a great film um, that surprised me a lot, and I was super entertained by it. Yeah, I loved I loved Coco. I I struggled with not adding it to this list. I I didn't feel like I could quite fit it on, but it. Pixar is definitely hitting its stride now, and I think here they really nailed the balance between being a really good kids movie and a really good movie for adults to watch. I think normally they they seem to either pick one and go for that. Like I, I would say, like Up and Wally are very much clinging to the adult movie side, 
at the cost of not being a good kids movie anymore. <laughs> um, I think Coco just, they walked this line where it was material that could have gone so badly. And instead they just, they handled it with a lot of nuance, a lot of playfulness. And visually it just brought me back like to Grim Fandango, to like all these things from my childhood, which there's going to be a Grim Fandango movie. So that'll be fun. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Carson? I mean, yeah, I like, you know, I like Coco. I was never going to make the, the, the cut, but, um, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to think if there are any other kids movies or animated movies this year that I thought were really great. Um, oh, Boss Baby. Bo- I mean, Boss Baby was good. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> not quite the level of, uh, best of the year, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. And you know what? I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it. I think we were kind of, I think we kind of wrote it off, but, um, because Cars one and two were bad. Like I, what not... could he be talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like I wasn't a fan of Cars, uh, the first two Cars movies, but uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised by uh, Cars three. Like it was, I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest movie, but I was, I, I enjoyed myself. I was like, all right, they they kind of ended it strong. Like I I give them props for that. That is a shocker. What, what about Cars, Fire and Rescue, or whatever the straight uh, to DVD version was? What about Planes? Planes, yeah, yeah. Planes pretty bad, dude. So here's the question. In a world where Coco would have been uh, high enough on your list to make the list, does it? would it check the box of technically being a horror film because it deals with the dead? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and funny, funnily enough, there is a great Day of the Dead sequence in uh, Boys in the Trees. So, I don't know. Interesting. More no, uh, than look forward to. More of a you know selling point. I don't know, but yeah, there. Yeah, I like the horror vibes. That I think that was the main uh, thing that I liked about Coco was the 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 land of the dead and that whole world. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, Stephen, do you want to move us into our number six? Yeah, and and so this time I am gonna rattle off a few things that didn't quite make the cut we don't need to talk about them because they'll probably be discussed later in the episode by other people uh but for number six i wanted to pick there were a lot of movies this year that were kind of built around a crescendo of an ending like a movie that just kind of like builds up to a thing that just in the last 10 minutes or something takes your breath away and if the ending didn't exist it might have been a very different movie but because of the way it makes you feel walking out of the theater it totally deserves a spot um Movies that didn't quite make that list, uh, I think the most obvious one here would be uh, Darkest Hour. That was a great crescendo of a movie. Loved it. Kills me that I didn't put it on this list. Um, I would kind of put Dunkirk in that category, too, as something that just builds and builds and builds, and there's just, like, a tension to it that it, it is so great. But the movie that I left the theater after the ending just feeling overwhelmed by uh, was Only the Brave, which is a movie that I have not heard any love for this award season <laughs> yeah. at all. Um, and I think that's just a shame because this this has so many great performances. Uh, Josh Brolin, Miles Teller, John- Jennifer Connelly, Jeff Bridges. It's such a heartfelt biopic that its tragedy has come so quickly and they're so emotionally true. Um Jeff Bridges lets out a yelp in this movie that is probably <laughs> the most devastating thing I've seen all year. And it and there's it, a it, lot like, of devastating shit in this movie. Oh, there sure is. And it I, I don't know, this movie it shines a light on a world that I never knew anything about before. It made me interested in it. I've thought about it since then. I've brought it up in conversation. And yeah, I think 
it's a very standard movie. This isn't an artsy flick, but I think it's like a, a lovely film. I'm glad it was made, and I think more people should check it out. Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by uh, <laughs> your guys' review of it. That was the one, the yeah, the one that you did while I was away, um, and I I wanted to watch it just to like. Not that I didn't believe you guys, but I wanted to watch it just so I could experience what you guys experienced in watching it. Um, once again, it's on my list. I will get to it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't put it on my list, but uh, because I feel like only The Brave and also the movie Stronger are... Also an honorable mention for sure for me. Yeah, I feel like those two movies, these like emotionally devastating true life story movies, I feel like they're in a whole different plane of existence um and it is kind of weird that they both were as well received as something like dunkirk um but i i haven't seen either of them on like any top 10 list which is weird because they're both really exceptional movies yeah i i think stronger like darkest hour has gotten some love for the lead performance but not as much credit as i think it deserves for the actual film and i think the film is also very powerful so yeah this was a great year for like true life biopics i think people did really well yeah and also for the record when carson said his list he meant it's not on his list because he has seen the film when i said it's on my list i meant my list of things to watch still Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just wanted to clear up that we, confusion. So yeah, watch watch only the brave, but also watch Darkest Hour and Stronger. So that's me squeezing another thing. Right, right. All right, uh, Carson, would you like to squeeze something in and give us your number six? Okay, um, we got another Netflix original movie here. Um, that's uh, Bong Joon Ho's Okja, uh, which I feel like has come up on a few lists, but weirdly didn't get uh, as much love as I uh, thought it would be. Uh, compared to Snowpiercer, it was, uh, it was like, not as well-received. It was kind of like the, uh, it was kind of like if Snowpiercer was Drive, like, Oksha was definitely the only God forgives. Um, <laughs> where, because I, I do feel like, I do feel like Snowpiercer has all of Bong Joon-ho's sensibilities, but it, it is still very mainstream. But Oksha has, like, it was like, Netflix is like, here's $50 million, now go crazy. Um, Because if, because, like, my brother saw this movie, and he was just like, what the hell did I just watch? And he had only seen Snowpiercer, and I was like, but if you, I was like, yeah, I was like, I get that. But but if, like, if you go back and you watch, like, Memories of Murder and The Host and Mother, like, those movies are definitely more in line with Oksha, like, because... There is no, like, one tone. Like, the tone of... That's what I like about his movies, is that the tone is, like, all tones. There's, like, every single fucking genre in it. Um, And Oksha, like, manages to put in, like, this heartwarming children's movie um, and a really, like, hard R... uh, (laughs) Really hard... Like, it mixes, like, a really hard R... um, movie with like something like a beethoven right so like a like a heartwarming family movie but it's like a hard r um yeah it's crazy how it'll go like from being like a horror movie to an action movie to an adventure movie um it's it's really a lot of fun and it has my number two favorite performance of the year from mr jake gyllenhaal 
uh, <laughs> who had a very divisive performance. Uh, a lot of people were like, Jake Gyllenhaal is in a whole another movie. What the fuck is he doing? But it's fantastic. Like I ate up every second Jake G is on screen in this movie. Um, he is like Nicolas Cage and Vampire's Kiss level over the top. It's awesome. Uh, I wanted more of him, but there was just enough. And uh, yeah, Oksha is a fantastic movie. Please see it if you haven't. Just for for the record, in Carson's farewell episode, he puts on his top ten films of the, of the year a heavily CG creatured yes. uh, film on his list. I'm, I, I will say though, I think Bong Joon Ho is known to be like someone who can pull that off. Yeah, like the yeah. host is one of those great examples. The host, yeah, the host had a lot of, um, and this was kind of the same thing. Like I remember seeing the still images of the pig in Oakjet. I was like, I don't know, man. Um, but within the context of the movie, there's a couple points where it doesn't look great. But like I got used to it because the movie overcomes any kind of weird. CGI issues that I have with it. Um, and the little girl in it is just really, really fantastic. Like, um, that's the other thing I forgot to mention about the babysitter. The kids in the movie were really great. No, no dumb wiener kids in that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, the CGI was kind of, kind of whack, but the, the strength of the movie overcame that. I, I I really regret not having seen Oksha yet. It's a movie that was definitely on my list of things I had to see. I knew it was getting a lot of love. I knew it was something that ought to be in contention. And there there was just something where I never felt like I was quite in the right mood to take it for what it was. So I'm still, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard only great things. Yeah, and I, that's exactly how I kind of viewed the film. Like I had been hearing great things about it. It was just right there staring at me, easily able to watch <laughs> it. And I just didn't sit down and watch it <laughs> uh but it's that'll be something something i can do hopefully once again sometime soon <laughs> all right so for my number six film of the year i guess this is my things that that uh lots of people have on their list that carson probably doesn't care too much about <laughs> and that is ladybird <laughs> <laughs> yes uh this this was a film that, uh, I mean, obviously I'd been hearing good things about it already, and I kind of watched it, and I just got sucked into the story. Um, obviously, it has Stephen's favorite actor <laughs> playing Lady Bird's dad. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, hell yeah, dude. And it's funny, too, because, like, uh, Saoirse Ronan, Sheer, I, I'm not even going to try it. What, somebody say her name. Seahorse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. It's weird that, like, they're, they're I mean... It, obviously, this is uh, Greta Gerwig's like directorial debut, and watching the film, there were moments that like I I forgot that I wasn't watching Greta Gerwig. Like she plays, it, it feels so authentic, and it feels exactly the thing that her characters usually do in other films that I have liked with performances of hers. And I think that um, Seahorse Ronan uh, <laughs> is is just really great in the role, and uh, it's it's a simple story, but it has these like punches in it that really hit you and it does things that like in any other cliched movie like this scene exists but then it kind of just just tweaks it a little bit in a way that uh feels really really great and uh yeah it was a film that i very much enjoyed and made it number six yeah i I, i'm with you i really enjoyed it i have a feeling if i were to watch it a second time it might have climbed into this list to me the one thing i just felt it for good, not bad. It was a kind of like a, a 
trifling movie, right? Like it was small. It wasn't trying to do a whole lot. And I think like built up against all the insanely high praise that Greta Gerwig and Saoirse Ronan have been getting for this movie. It just didn't, it didn't feel like it could quite hold that weight for me. Uh, I did love that Greta Gerwig found a directorial voice that perfectly matches the way her characters are, which is a kind of a giddiness, like a tweeness that isn't too cutesy or too annoying. Like it's very authentic, very real. Um, the one scene in this movie that I think was something a worse movie would have had and didn't earn the film is a scene where a former gym teacher becomes the theater director for a day. That only went on like two minutes, but it felt like it went on 20 <laughs> minutes, and I did not like that scene at all. But otherwise, yeah, it was a nice movie. It was a small, nice film, for sure an honorable mention for me. Uh, yeah, for people listening, we were going to review this movie, and then I texted... Uh, Steven and Chris and I was like I can't go through with it I'm still having <laughs> I'm still having PTSD from how annoying it was um, I was the Sarah and I were the two people who didn't like it and then there was like one guy later who gave it a negative review kind of I don't know but uh, Armand White <laughs> no it, was, it wasn't Armand White it was some guy I don't know I'm just looking for clicks I guess um, but uh, <laughs> he like I look the movie isn't terrible I was actually really looking forward to it. I thought the trailer was great. I thought it was funny. I like Greta Gerwig. I like Saoirse Ronan. Um, I like these coming of age, you know, coming of age comedy. And um, the opening scene of this movie, where they're driving in the car, I that's when it hit me, and I was like, if this is the whole movie, I can't handle it. Like, I just can't. <laughs> this is too fucking annoying. I can't handle like the the pseudo intellectual like teenager people like i know like they were supposed to be annoying and stuff and i was just like i can't i can't do it like this is so none of the characters like that is so not interesting to me and not interesting to watch and um yeah the one positive thing i can say is that usually i find tracy letts to be like very theatrical and distracting in movies but i thought he was great in this i thought he was really good um and the other thing is that I think I told Stephen, I think I told you this, but after it was over, I kind of was just like, Sarah and I were just like, yeah, like, I mean, really, like this movie didn't reinvent the wheel or anything. And like I said, it's not terrible, but it's just, it's basically, it's basically Gilmore Girls, but not good, you know, like that's it. <laughs> like, and it's funny because like the other day there was a thing online where it was like, fans are drawing parallels between Lady Bird and Gilmore Girls. And I was like, yeah, because they're the same thing. It's just better. Um, but, um, yeah, so it was, like, very, like, the Amy Sherman Pal- Palladino uh, stuff uh, is, like, very similar to this. So I, th- I feel like that was my main thing where I was just, like, I'd rather just watch uh, Gilmore Girls again because it covers so the same, I, I, same terrain, you know? I, I would agree that it covers similar terrain as Gilmore Girls. I think um, the difference is this is more, like, a personal story told by a person who would have grown up on Gilmore Girls. And I think... I think Edge of 17 is a better comp. I know you loved Edge of 17, so you might take issue with that. But I think this film fits that niche very well and very similarly, which includes having some moments that are very filmic, very kind of like standard rom-com-y stuff, and then some moment of heart that you just weren't expecting. Uh, So I get why people love this movie. I don't get why people so love this movie. Uh, But I I do think it's, it's a very nice film. Cool. Uh, well, speaking of very nice films, Stephen, I assume you have a number five film to talk about. 
I sure do, and this is the one where I might lose both Chris and Carson. <laughs> but don't worry, I'm sure for the top four, I'll mostly get you back. Um, this is a film, also a Netflix original, like Carson's, uh, which I very recently caught up with. Uh, and that is a movie called Mudbound, which is a movie that I was not expecting a lot of at all. I mean, premise-wise, it seemed like it was just going to be sad. It's just going to be a historical fiction about, like, race in the post-slavery era. It's going to be, like, very devastating and very brutal, and it's going to be hard to sit through. And what I got, for the most part, was not that at all. I think instead what I got was, like, a Jeff Nichols movie. It's what I wanted Loving to be, right? I wanted it to be this kind of brooding gothic about life in the south about race relations that maybe you know climaxes in something but for the most part it's just happy to brood in like the soil in the dirt in the dark sky and let great actors be great actors uh, and that's what i got i think everyone in this movie is really really good i think carrie mulligan is great jason clark mary j blige has been getting some talk i she's really good it's just a uh, easy e from straight out of Compton <laughs> yeah, is in this easy movie too. <laughs> um i just think this movie especially for a netflix original where normally you're not expecting it to be a theatrical experience which maybe isn't fair nowadays it's pretty much the same right but considering it was a thing that went straight to netflix i was amazed at how well it managed to really build tension build atmosphere and ambiance and it just had this like really cool driving rhythm it it went at exactly the pace i wanted it to and i thought it just built dread and frustration very well and it also made me think about what life was like after world war ii for people in the south which i'd never thought of before so i thought that was really interesting definitely in line with Meyerowitz stories for the old white patriarch with a beard fucks up everything <laughs> category of movies um but yeah i i think mud mudbound is definitely worth checking out Carson Patrick, did you see and or like Mudbound? I did watch Mudbound. Um, I thought it was okay. I didn't really... Yeah, I thought it was okay. Like, <laughs> I was dreading watching it because it's a very... It's like drama with a capital D. So I was like, oh no, I don't... I mean, this is... Not, it's not a fun movie, you know? Like, especially just kind of hearing about it... Um, and I was like, eh. but the one thing, though, I will say, the director, Dee Rees, she did a movie. Her first movie was uh, Pariah, which I really like. That's a really great movie. Um, and I thought that she handled, like, the drama in that, like, really well. Because um, I, I feel like in a lot of these historical movies or, uh, you know, these dramas, they can get, like, just way melodramatic. You know, like, we got, like, the Selmas where you got these really cartoonish villains and characters and it takes you out, you know, and I feel like she is more in line with like a Barry Jenkins that can handle, and Jeff Nichols, because I, I enjoyed loving, um, but like, you know, that really kind of subtle uh, drama. And uh, so, yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that the movie wasn't what I thought it was going to be because there was a lot of buzz that came out of Sundance. Everyone was like, this is going to be a huge Oscar contender, which weirdly it's not. Um, but um, yeah, I didn't realize that it was kind of, it's basically like kind of Stephen pointed out. It's like a, it's a, it's a coming home movie. It's a war movie. Uh, and it's a, and it's about these two characters, one played by easy Jason Mitchell and the other played by Garrett Hedlund um, and seeing their two different experiences after they come home from the war um so that part of it i, I thought that was the strongest part of the movie the rest i was kind of like eh. so you know 
I didn't hate it, but I also wasn't like that hot on it. It's another movie kind of like Brawl and Cell Block 99 that I thought looked really cheap, um, which was, again, weird because Pariah looked really good. And the DP, Rachel Morrison, uh, she shot Fruitvale Station, which I thought looked great. And she's also the DP on Black Panther, which looks great. So, like, it was weird that this looks so, like, cheap. I don't know, but... Um... See, that, that's interesting, because I think this looks a lot like Fruitvale Station looked. Like, I, I totally get the aesthetic being similar from those two movies. Yeah, well, like, I don't know. Fruitvale was shot on, like, 16mm. It had, like, an actual, like, grainy, like, that look. And I feel like they were going for that here, but it was very clearly, like, cheap digital look, which I... I don't know why they do that. If you're going to go historical, I feel like you got to pull out the film. You got to get that grain on there and make it look really old and stuff. Otherwise, it looks weird. Um, but yeah, the acting was good. It's weird that Mary J. Blige has been getting a lot of attention. I thought she was good, but she's like barely in it. I, I was kind of yeah. surprised by that. No, I, I think pretty much everyone is great in this movie, and I don't know why she's being singled out. Yeah, because like the leads, like I said, the leads are Garrett Hedlund and Jason Mitchell. So that's why yeah, I thought... And, and they're both really good in the movie. Yeah, they are. And that's why I was kind of surprised that Mary J. Blige, out of all of them, was the one that was getting all the, the praise and stuff. Or I guess being singled out, you know, because I, I, I expected it to be a larger role and it wasn't. And But yeah. Uh, well, I, I just watched this film last night um, as Stephen uh, messaged me and said that I should watch it. Not necessarily that it would make my list, but just that I should check it out because it's an interesting film. Um, I told him tonight as we were going out that like I wasn't sure I got what was trying to be said by like... The, like the narrative of this is set up in a certain way, and I like all of that. The the end end the after the events of what the story is trying to tell seemed very confusing to me. And um, also the the be- at the beginning I was taken out a little by the jumping between characters introducing themselves in their own like voiceover because I didn't know who I was supposed to be following. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that like clears itself out like partway through the story, and you kind of just zone into the characters that you want to follow, but. Yeah, it was a film that um, had some very po- uh, powerful moments in it that I genuinely, like, not not enjoyed watching, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I think overall, it, I didn't walk away, um, like, it, it didn't leave me with anything once it was over. Hmm. Yeah. But that brings us on to Carson Patrick's number oh, five. Number five, okay. Um, so... Oh, gosh. Um, So this movie, uh, it's called The Devil's Candy. And uh, once again, directed by an Australian. Not his debut, though. This is his second movie. Uh, His debut was a movie called The Loved Ones that came out a couple years ago, which was uh, also a very strong horror movie. I recommend you go check that out. Um, But um, The Devil's Candy is his first uh, American movie, and it has... Weirdly, the star is uh, Ethan Embry, if you remember, the 90s teen star from uh, Empire Records and Can't Hardly Wait. Um, and he plays a, uh, like a, he plays like a, a metal musician uh, who's, f- him and his family move out to this, uh, this farm in Texas. And uh, he is now a painter and he starts to realize that the, the previous owners were, uh, there's a very demonic presence uh, underneath the house and uh, he starts to become consumed by it and uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. This and the next movie on the list are the uh, <laughs> demonic. I feel like there's a lot of demonic possession movies on the list, but uh, I, in a, in a in a world where we get a lot of these Blumhouse movies, I feel like demonic possession and haunted house movies are kind of played out. Um, this one took a, a really cool approach to it, and uh, it's a really it's a hard movie. It's like really metal, like literally. Um, <laughs> Not just because the guy is also a, a, a metal musician in the movie, um, <laughs> but uh, oh, and the other guy, the one of the kind of antagonists in the movie is that guy Pruitt Taylor Vince, who was like the killer in Identity, and he was also the priest who drinks himself to death in Constantine. It was like the that really creep. It's, he's like a that guy. Yeah, he, yeah. He's always playing like really creep creeper dudes. Um, he's in this movie, so you know it's like grade A creepy. Um, and yeah, it's just like really, really awesome mood and vibes and, you know, not to, not to sound like a broken record or anything and to bring up like past wounds, but like, this is the movie, like I was expecting and wanting out of green room, like the intensity of it and the level of like, just badass, like metalness of it. Like, that's what I thought I was going to get out of green room and I did not Um, so it's basically, you know, not to bring up, not to like poop on that movie again. I'm only bringing it up just to be like the alternative is this movie, I think, for me. So uh, Devil's Candy, it's on Netflix now. Check it out. Uh, check out The Loved Ones too. Sean Byrne, director. Like I said, he's Australian, so you know it's legit. The, the loved one sounds familiar, but I can't think of what it is right now. Uh, I bet you if you saw the poster, you'd remember. It's like there's a girl in a prom dress, and she's holding like a big power drill. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that I one. Think, yeah, yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. Uh, okay, so since I think Chris and I didn't see The Devil's Candy, maybe we should jump to Chris's number five. So my number five is, of course, the film Get Out. Um, which obviously has gotten a lot of love. Um, this was a film that seemed like a fun, interesting uh, type of comedy horror film. It seemed like there was a funny bent to a thing, but what it turns out to be is like, actually, it, it's one of those films where I watch and the Chris brain goes off and carries out the premise to its like logical conclusion. And the premise of this film terrifies the hell out of me. Um, like what is actually happening in the world of this film is amazing. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a weird, disturbing film that has you laughing half the time and like genuinely being creeped out at what is happening to uh, the people in the area where um, the story is being told. Um, we did a review of it. I think we all were very, very fond of it. Yeah, I, I wasn't there for the review, but it, it okay. was awesome. Yeah, I mean, this was a movie that uh, kind of what I hinted at because I was like, get out. It's already a classic. We know it's awesome. I'm leaving it out. But yeah, Get Out is great. Uh, again, I'll say that like Lil Rel Howery as um, the friend in this movie is a, is amazing. Like I know like Sam Rockwell is like the front runner for best supporting actor, and Sam Rockwell is always great. But Lil Rel Howery should be winning that Oscar for best supporting. Actor. He makes I feel like is one of the, the shining moments of that movie, and. Um, is one of the memorable moments of that movie. And, and obviously the, the ending of the movie is very memorable, which he is involved yeah. in. So I, I would, 
like in a just world, like I feel like if he no question he'd be like on the best supporting actor ticket, yeah, shoe in to win. And he's great too because he he sort of understands that something's not right. Right, and right. He's just like, dude. Yeah, he, I think he's also just a shot of much needed, much needed levity in a film that otherwise would leave you at the end just feeling like yeah. so bad. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he's like sure. the he's like the Jamie Kennedy character in Scream, where he knows all the rules and he's always you know pointing it out and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I mean, Get Get Out was one of those films I didn't want to name in my. Uh, initial disclaimer before this list by any right get out should be on this list it's an awesome movie it definitely like built tension it made me feel that very well it's extremely memorable it's like culturally relevant it it's great i just i knew it was going to be on chris's list already (laughs) everybody's talking about it you should all see get out if you haven't seen get out yet like why why haven't you seen get out yet (laughs) you should get out of this episode and go see it and then come back great great movie i felt bad that i didn't squeeze it on my list so i'm glad that chris got it on so that's the, that's the beauty of having only a 13 long short list. <laughs> it's, it's really easy to include it. Um, so that brings us to Stevens number four. Yeah, so now I am starting to enter the territory of films that I know we all saw. I know we all talked about. I know where everyone stands already. Carson isn't going to totally love me for this one, but I think he's still going to be slightly on board. Uh, My number four is The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro. This is a movie that, as far as the big kind of Oscar front-runnery films went, this was not one that, based on the trailer, I thought I was going to love. This actually looked kind of odd, right? Kind of Disney, kind of cartoony. And it, it is all of those things. I think this is Guillermo del Toro being... Just everything that he's been building for in his, at least, American filmmaking over the last few years. This is a big, grand theatrical movie. Uh, I think this is just a film about many, many things, right? It's about love in a difficult place. It's a film about forcing you to be comfortable with uncertain things, uneasy things, right? Like a slimy sea creature, grisly violence, like stuff that's just like put right in front of the camera and you're just supposed to reckon with it like a kid in a fairy tale. And I just think as a fairy tale, as a movie that is just trying to really press your buttons and make you confront a lot of different issues, this was just beautifully made. It's thought-provoking. It's a film I've come back to over and over again. Uh, I think it's a much better version of La La Land (laughs) as well as a much better (laughs) version of lots of other things. And yeah, Yeah. this is just... it's just he has such a a wonderful kind of Tim Burton sensibility, like a very classical Amelie. There's so many things in this movie, and I just it, this is a great movie. I, I feel like almost anyone should love this movie when they see it. Yeah, you agree, Carson? I mean, you can go listen to the review that you did. I did a drop in. I feel like I summed it up pretty well, but I was ultimately disappointed, being that I love Guillermo del Toro. I've loved all his other movies, and uh, I was. I can't hate on it too much, but I was definitely bummed that it didn't really live up to uh, my expectations. Um, but I will say, Sally Hawkins also, you know, reprising her role in Paddington 2, also spends a lot of time in the water uh, with another creature, um, <laughs> another CG creature, <laughs> or, you know, make-believe creature. And uh, at the end of that movie, I was like, I teared up more there than in shape of water um (laughs) so anyway paddington 2 definitely in the top five for 2018 um predictive top 10 list 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love half of The Shape of Water. <laughs> um, I think some of the film is just absolutely brilliant, and I, I really, really love parts of it. I think the other parts of it are, like, your normal sort of, like, people try to help a creature escape from a thing. And I think that some of it, like, the weird Russian subplots, and, like, there's, there's a bunch of stuff in the story that is sort of just background text, and that stuff I didn't think was as strong as just like the relationship between the characters. And if the film was more front loaded and just simply ended with the escape, um, instead of like having that sort of thing take place smack dab in the middle of the film, I think this would probably rank, um, higher for me. And, uh, unfortunately it didn't make my list. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think I didn't mention this in the disclaimer, but 2017 was a funny year because normally there are at least like, six movies that in my mind are nearly perfect, right? They're movies that I love to a degree that I don't have big criticisms of. And 2017 wasn't like that. Like maybe my number one is a film like that. But in general, all of these have things that there are moments that I disagree with or things that I don't like, but the highs are just so high that I don't give a fuck anymore. Uh, and that's why this <laughs> list was so interesting for me because everything in my short list, all these 30 films have something I don't like and something I love. Yeah. Cool. Well, Carson, do you want to take us into your number four? Okay, so again, sticking with that demonic possession theme, um, number four, a movie that A24 put out earlier in 2017 called The Black Coat's Daughter. Um, This has Emma Roberts, uh, Lucy Boynton from Sing Street, and uh, uh, Kiernan Shipka. I almost... I always call her Sally Draper because she's Sally Draper from Mad Men. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, the three of them are in this horror movie that takes place at an all-girls uh, boarding school, and uh, Sally Draper is uh, a ghost. Is uh, she has a lot of murderous intent? If you ever want to see Sally Draper just murder a bunch of fools, this is the movie, uh, and have it be really scary. Um, it's the debut movie from, uh, Osgood Perkins, uh, who is the son of Anthony Perkins. And, um, he did this movie first, uh, that came out, like I said, it came out earlier this year. Uh, so I saw that and then he did a follow-up movie called I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, which, um, <laughs> which also has, uh, the girl Lucy Boynton from Sing Street in it, um, Well, anyway, Netflix picked up that movie, his second movie, and they actually released it first. They released it last Halloween Halloween of 2016. I didn't watch it till after The Black Coat's Daughter, um, but if I had watched the second, if I had watched I Am the Pretty Thing before the end of 2016, that definitely would have been on my top 10. Um, There's like... Like, really, like, the the main thing is just, like, it's a really slow burn horror movie, um, which I feel like we don't get a lot uh, that much anymore. Um, like, really slow burn, all about the mood. There's, like, one shot in the in Black Coat's Daughter that's, like, very, very scary. Like, I, you know, usually I'm just like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, there's a lot of phony jump scares and stuff. Um, but the mood of this movie is very, very uh, frightening, and again, a great spin on like the demonic possession genre. Um, but yeah, like just really great slow burn horror and the I'm the pretty thing, the follow up, even more of a slow burn uh, and also like a take on like haunted house 
Um, so like I'm like like I feel like he uh, this guy is like the one to watch for horror movies, uh, at least American horror movies. Um, so like I'm like I'm ready for whatever he's got coming next because it like was so so awesome. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's, uh, Blackcoat's daughter is on Amazon Prime, so go, go watch it. Nice. Another one to check out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is interesting, like, if you wanted to power through our lists, you got a lot ahead of you on, on Carson's list, you'll have a, a good time sleeping after that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, so now on to my number four. So... Once again, continuing on my things of my my list of things that are on everybody's lists. Um, this film definitely like if if I was just ranking things based on the best, not like my favorite, this might be at the top of of the list. Um, I think in weird schnazy world where I kind of rank things based on what sort of touched me the most, not just necessarily what I appreciated the most from a filming standpoint. Um, this would be much much higher, um, but it's at number four. And that is the film Dunkirk, uh, which uh, blew me away. I mean, I it's a film that I technically shouldn't like, as there is almost no story in the entire <laughs> film. Um, <laughs> like, I am a person who wants there to be a deep, engrossing story that makes me care about what I'm watching. And this was like, no, fuck that. I'm going to suck you in with simply tone. And like... You know, th there are a lot of war films that come out uh, from time to time, and this is the first one that really made me feel like the like the shittiness of war and like feel hopelessness. Like usually, we watch a film where people are like just going crazy and blowing people away, and they're like, "Where are the best soldiers are," ah! and this is like a bunch of people crowded on a beach, desperate, uh, don't think hope like there's any hope left, and nothing is coming for them, and it's just them trying to survive and trying to understand what they're doing there <laughs> and uh yeah it just it blew me away and it uh, blew me away enough to put it as my number four film i th i thought maybe i thought maybe that would be the number one but uh i, I have i thought wrong. I, I already have like now bets <laughs> on both of your number one and number two but we'll see um anyway i i fully agree on dunkirk like dunkirk is an amazing movie that's one of those films that i alluded to that are so self-evidently good i kind of just ruled them off of the list i don't even know how to rank it because dunkirk is an experience right i saw it in IMAX, that that is, I think, the best way to see this film, for sure. Just feeling the weight of that score, the ticking clock, letting it wash over you. It's, yeah, it's an incredible film. Yeah, I mean, Dunkirk is a is a stone-cold classic. Like, there's no way or other way around it. Like, And I feel like it kind of probably belongs in that same category of Stronger and Only the Brave, because it's just on a whole different level. Like... You watch that movie and you're like, this is a fucking movie. Like, this is, you know, it's one of the movies where you're like, okay, it's a director that's, you know, great. And I'm here to watch that movie. And it delivers, like, I feel like, I said in our review, like, I feel like Dunkirk is, like, just a, a, a super indie movie on, like, a giant budget. <laughs> um, it no, I, I agree. It feels, I like a, it feels like a following or a memento, but on a... $100 million budget. I, I think what I like about it, too, is in recent years, Christopher Nolan has kind of, for me, given a reputation of making movies that are, like, 
trying too hard to be thought provoking, like trying to recapture that puzzle that, uh, you know, he he's been doing for a while and sometimes they work really well sometimes they don't but you always get the sense that like he really wants to impress you yeah. dunkirk i feel like he made this movie for himself like he said i'm gonna do this there's gonna be multiple storylines you won't know how they weave together i'm not gonna help hold your hand at all i'm not gonna give you a narrative that you can go back later and debate you know like the way you would inception or something i'm just gonna make a movie that is about the emotion of being in a place with three fairly anonymous characters that symbolize it. And yeah. it, it really gives me hope for future Nolan movies because this means he hasn't pigeonholed himself at all. Like he isn't just going to do the interstellar thing where he's going to go bigger and bigger and bigger. He's really willing to explore new things and do things that typically, like Carson said, only an indie filmmaker would do, which is make a really bare bones story with very little exposition and trust that it will carry the weight for the audience even if you don't give them anyone else to latch on to yeah yeah also best score of the year Hans Zimmer killing it and so I think that brings us to our number three film of 2017 Stephen Miller start us off all right so for my number three film of 2017 I am going to pick another one that is an awards heavy hitter Probably one that I'm already aware Carson didn't love quite as much as a lot of the community loved. But don't worry, Carson. I'm going to win you back in the next two. Oh, um, <laughs> and this film is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I, I love Martin McDonough. I love his sensibility. I love his ability to shock and provoke to a point. Uh, I think he has a very playwright mentality where he just sets up situations that might be outlandish. Characters might begin as stereotypes. There might be anything, but he just sets the domino pieces in place and then lets things fall in a way where it can't help but be interesting. And this film, not only is the premise just really interesting, right? A daughter or a mother trying to force a police officer to look into the murder of her daughter, kind of wrestling with the community and a bunch of people just having a lot of hatred and not knowing where to funnel their anger in a positive way. Uh, but this also happens to be anchored by like, across the board great performances i mean francis mcdormand is great woody harrelson i love i feel like people don't talk about him enough in this movie i think this is one of the best woody harrelson's i've ever seen um sam rockwell of course is phenomenal in this it this is just a movie that like it's controversial it's getting a little bit of a backlash now i know there's a there's a narrative now that this film gives certain characters too tidy an arc at the end that people don't think it's earned. Uh, it might be disrespectful about certain issues of race that it like brings up and doesn't really conclude. I can't argue with those people. I just think they're missing the point. I think Martin McDonough is making a film about how, even in a world full of terrible people, how can we try to coexist somehow? And this is about like just funneling your aggression somewhere new and I, I think it's just very provocative interesting and yeah i i love it i'm glad this movie is getting so much attention uh yeah obviously if you listen to our review i wasn't too hot on three bill three billboards um but i love mark mcdonough and um i guess the thing the thing i remember when we were talking in our actual review uh i had forgotten to bring it up but now i remembered which was the, you know, even if you love Three Billboards or weren't too hot on it like me, um, I was going to just offer up an alternative, which um, is a movie called Lawn Dogs that Sam Rockwell was also in. Uh, I think it came out like 1997. 
uh, early Sam Rockwell. Uh, was he like five? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's funny because the the main girl in the movie, um, the child girl, is uh, Misha Barton from the OC in her debut role. Um, Chris's eyes just lit up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's she's really good in it. Like uh, Christopher McDonald and Kathleen Quinlan are also in it too. And um, it's 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 not it's not the same movie, but it has similar themes and similar vibes. Like there's a, it's a small town. Sam Rockwell plays kind of an outsider, and there's like incendiary kind of taboo level subject matter, and um, it kind of has like a fairy tale vibe. Uh, it's a really great movie. So that was like what I was gonna say when we talked about it earlier. Um, so that's all I got. Yeah, uh, I I mean, you can go back to the review. I liked uh, Three Billboards as well. Um, it was another film that I went in thinking I knew what the film was completely about. And what I got was a really gray tale on all these people. We're like the lead character. You expect her to be like the, the hero of the story. And you're totally going to be on her side because obviously. But like the first thing she says, you're like, mm, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then like you immediately realize that. There is no one person who is right or wrong in this story. It's mostly everyone's wrong. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it's it's an incredibly entertaining film. Very funny. Um, surprisingly funny, given the subject matter of it. But, uh, yeah, it was a film that I, I loved the characters in, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I, I do just want to say, like, I think people viewing Sam Rockwell as having a redemptive arc are like not nearly as nihilistic and bitter as Martin McDonough is. <laughs> I I really don't think this is a movie where anyone has a positive outlook in the end of the film. This is just a dark ass. Right. It, it's like nihilistic, like Tarantino, but with a little bit more of a fun pizzazz thrown in. It, yeah. So yeah, don't pull morals from this movie. Just pull provocative questions and move on. <laughs> also, also, real quick, I just remembered. Uh, <laughs> Lawn Dogs, not a debut, but also directed by an Australian. Um, so it's you know it's going to be hard, man. And like I, I also, and that was kind of one of the things that that disappointed me about Three Billboards is because Martin McDonough usually is like that provocative, like no filter, like hard filmmaker. And I felt like Three Billboards kind of kind of held back a little. Like I, I feel like it could have gone darker, could have gone even more incendiary my my only (laughs) counterpoint to that is in bruges and seven psychopaths had no public backlash and three billboards has yeah so i think he touched a nerve somewhere it just might not be in the like no he did he did the same level of like giddy immature shock value that he normally does he did but i felt like it it also felt a little a little toned down for him so um this is definitely a movie that's gonna get a lot of groans and um i think I think maybe Chris can weigh in on it. Um, and that is another Netflix original movie. Uh, that's uh, Death Note. Which uh, I, I, wow. I actually did not see it. Oh, man. Wow. I thought you'd be I all over it. I have not heard a single positive review of the American adaptation of Death Note. <laughs> so, okay, let me preface this by saying I'm aware of the OG Death Note. Um, I, I have no attachment to it. I've I've... I haven't read the source material. I didn't see any of the previous adaptations. I simply went into this movie a huge fan of Adam Wingard, the director. And um, I thought that this movie, like last year, he did, you know, he put out Blair Witch. 
and I was severely disappointed with that movie. Like, I just did not like it at all. I was super bummed after that, considering, you know, I was a fan of his work. And so going into this, I was ready for a redemption round, and uh, he definitely redeemed himself. And I I mean, I love this movie. Like, it's it's so much fun. It's a uh, light, bright, very odd. Very odd. It feels like a... It feels like Richard Kelly directed a Final Destination sequel. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Like, the the actors in it are great. Nat Wolf is the lead. Um it uh, also contains my absolute favorite performance of the year, which is Lakeith Stanfield in this movie plays like the uh, like a genius detective. He's like the Hercule Poirot of this movie. Um, I feel like <laughs> he even has like a he even has a similar line where he's just like, "I'm the greatest detective in the world." Uh, he doesn't even say probably. He's like, "I am the greatest." Um, but, uh, he has confidence, right? He has super confidence in it, but it's, it's very similar to Jake Gyllenhaal in Oksha, where it's just like a go for broke performance. Every scene he's on in is like thrilling to watch because you don't, you have no idea what he's going to do next. It's like that kind of just, I'll do whatever, but it's not like, you know, it doesn't feel like amateur or anything. Like it's a, like a really fucking awesome actor just having a blast and and really just cutting loose and doing like wacky shit with it um so that was a real standout for me other than the movie i thought the movie was a a ton of fun um it felt also kind of like a a goosebumps movie it felt more like a goosebumps movie than the jack black one we got a couple years ago um it felt more like a like from the, the old 90s tv show from back in the day um and to indulge my inner schnaze, the only thing that I had a problem with was the climax of this movie is at a, uh, is that like the homecoming dance? And the movie is set in October. Uh, so like it's Halloween. <laughs> it's a Halloween movie, right? It's a Halloween movie. Yet the, the homecoming theme is winter wonderland. And I was like, what the, <laughs> what? I was like, what's up I mean, with it's that? a classic homecoming theme. <laughs> True. It is. It is. It is. And I will say, I will say, um, Adam Wingard in an interview said he changed it to Winter Wonderland theme because he didn't want it to be too similar to The Guest. Because if you remember in The Guest, also the climax of that movie, Halloween theme at, in yeah. a school, you know. So he didn't want that to... Also, he had seen the Olaf Christmas special. Right, and was- right. Just very, very excited for it. He, About all the different ways we celebrate He Christmas. was super, super inspired, yeah. And the other thing that's really awesome or that I loved was um, the music choices in the movie are are great. Like, this movie ends with an air supply song, and it's the best use of an air supply song since Animal Kingdom. So... <laughs> Look out so it's for funny that. that you picked this movie because I'm assuming Chris's number three is going to be retroactively crowning Paper Towns, <laughs> another <laughs> Nat Wolf classic. Right, yeah. No, yeah, no I, I mean, I, I, oh, sorry. Uh, but, uh, but real fast, I was just going to say, like, I know the movie got a lot of <laughs> shit. Like, but again, like I said, the if you, if you see the Death Note remake, you're going to be like, that's a totally on-brand choice. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think Death Note is one of the examples of a time that I actually let the uh, the internet affect my uh, like willingness to see a film. Um, I 
I had a friend back uh, back home when I lived in the San Diego area, um, uh, or uh, my, my roommate would watch Death Note, like the original one, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty rad, and like, he gave me the premise, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, and uh, when I heard they were making a Netflix special, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm finally going to watch this, because it'll be cool, um, and then I started to hear all the hate for it, and I just checked it off the list of things that I was going to watch, just because I'd heard too much bad stuff. Didn't stop me from watching Bright. <laughs> but it did stop me from watching Death Note. I think the I think the disparity between like the critics and the audiences weren't as high as Bright, but I do feel like there is there were people I've you know saw some 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 love for it online. People actually did enjoy it. Um, I don't know if it's enough because like they obviously wanted they left it open. They wanted to make more movies. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I'd love, I'd love to see them, but um, I don't think the response wasn't as overwhelming as Bright, where it was like, you know, people clearly wanted to watch that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, if anything, like th- this Death Note adaptation, um, I-, I mean, it it made me uh, like interested and wanted wanting to go back and check out like the the TV series and stuff. Um, I haven't yet, but it, it, it did, you know, it did inspire that. It wasn't like, you know, if you were to see the Ghost in the Shell remake first, you're just like, I don't want to see any more of the, you know, <laughs> like that, that might turn people off, you know, like this did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, now it's time to move into my number three. Um, moments ago, Stephen made a joke, but I think it will technically be edited out because I was... Uh, I, uh, yeah, I knew. <laughs> I, I, was, I was undergoing um, some of my coldness that I have right now. Um, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> uh, my number three film of the year is The Big Sick, which <laughs> I unfortunately am right now. Um, this is Life story. this is just a wonderful film. Like this is one of those films where you watch it. The the, the like the mute meet cute is amazing. Like, this this is proof that knowing where a story is going does not take away from the story that you're watching. Obviously, if there's a huge twist in the story, then like blah, blah, blah. but I feel like when you're watching a film, where you're like, I am sitting down to listen to this true story and 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 watch this journey that these two people went through and you watch this film and it's just it's amazing the the romance feels 100 percent authentic the relationships with the parents um of his girlfriend who like ends up in a coma like every bit of this film is amazing and i don't know if it like if anybody expected it to be this good but it's so good <laughs> yeah I, I fully agree. Uh, I'm sure Carson's going to agree, too. This is one of those movies that it is maybe the most Steven film of the year, and it's perplexing that I didn't put it on my top ten list. Uh, <laughs> it's like I, I love Kumail Nanjani and Emily Gordon. I, I've been following their story for a long time. I was so excited for this film. It delivered. It's heartfelt. It's funny. It's sad. It's emotional. It, it It's a great movie. I, I have no justification for not having it. <laughs> You're just a bad person, Steven. I'm just a bad person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, this was kind of like a, you know, like a Dunkirk or something where it's like we already everyone knows that it's awesome. Uh, that was like a given. Um, but I was. Yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of. It's a uh, it's kind of it's kind of undeniable. It's hard to resist its charms. Um, and unfortunately, I kind of thought when the movie was out, it seemed like Ray Romano would be like a definite shoe in for. Oh, was he not? A I, best supporting actor. He hasn't gotten anything. Like, I thought Ray Romano, MVP of this movie, 
He's so, so he's good. Fa- he's fantastic. In he's it. so, so good in it. The scene where he's in the comedy club, hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he fills a similar role to Adam Sandler now, where it's like the comedian who has grown up and had a little bit more of a sadness attributed right. to him. Yeah. And there's just something really powerful about watching these people that used to be more funny, goofy icons, like now being sobering adult, trying to figure shit out characters. Yeah. Yeah, so I was kind of kind of bummed that like uh, he kind of got left out of the mix there. But um, yeah, the movie was the movie was great, um, and it's another movie that overcame its kind of uh, dumb technical uh, aspects, which was like this whole movie is shot in like handheld shaky cam, like any indie like romance movie, you know. And uh, I thought it overcame that. I thought it was funny because it's like you know Michael Showalter directed the movie. And he, like, him and, you know, that group of guys have made fun of shit like that. And I, so I thought that was mm-hmm. funny that they, that he took that route. Like, his, the movie he made, The Baxter, is all about making fun of romantic comedies like that. Um, uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of, kind of funny, I guess, but. Yeah, it, it's movie- interesting to me that this was directed by Michael Showalter, because in my head, this was directed by Judd Apatow, because this right. feels so in line with the heart and pathos of the Apatow movies. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people had said that it's the best Judd Apatow movie, and he didn't direct it, <laughs> which I yeah. don't I don't agree with. I'm still on the Judd Apatow train, like, that, you know. But yeah, no, like, it, it was, I thought of, it was kind of funny that, like, it was done that way, but the movie was too good to... Uh, be brought down by that cool so we're getting we're getting down to the wire here yeah steven you want to take us into your number two film of the year uh yeah i can i can go for it i'm attempting to figure out the best way to introduce this movie i have a feeling (laughs) i might be colliding with carson too so i feel a little bad about that um but this is a film which is rare for most years, but I saw very, very early in the year. That almost never happens, like a movie this high on my list being a January-February release. Uh, But my film is Personal Shopper uh, by Olivier Asias. And this, like, I don't know how to explain this movie. I think even in our review, you might not have known if I loved it or was, like, perplexed by it, right? This is just a movie that gnaws at you. It's a... It's a movie about being haunted. It's a movie about our relationships with each other, about the distance we feel, about like the distance of reading like a scrawled note on a counter or seeing bouncing dots on an iPhone screen showing someone being there but not being there. This is just a movie about... If this were only a movie about the social implications of living in the modern day world and feeling isolated and feeling haunted, it would be great. And then it becomes a literal haunting movie on the side. It's just, it's such a cryptic, bewildering, kind of emotionally jarring film. I haven't been able to shake it loose ever since I've seen it. And I think, I think you will watch it and have no idea what it means, but wait a few months and like, tell me that you're not (laughs) still feeling a little bit of the ambiance that this movie has. Uh, Kristen Stewart, badass, loved her in Clouds of Sils Maria, love her here. Can't wait to see what she does next. Personal Shopper, definitely worth checking out. Do you agree, Carson? Uh, of course. Personal Shopper, way legit. Uh, probably, definitely in the top 20. Not on this top 10 list for me, but... Um, <laughs> Damn, uh, stiffed hardcore. Uh, wow. 
Um, I uh, because Stephen, you he you put uh, Clouds of Sills Maria on your list whenever a year that came out, and I had seen that, and I like I'm not up on the Olivier Asias filmography. Like I feel like he's one of these like French auteurs who I'm like I always hear about, but I'm never like you know it's one of those. Movies are like, you always see like a fucking letterbox review for it. You're just like, oh, it's one of those movies, you know? <laughs> or like, it's kind of like the hipster crowd. Like that that kind of feel like always brings that up. It's, um, I'm trying to think of the other. Oh, Claire Denis is another, uh, her movies always get brought up. And I'm like, I'm not up on that either. But uh, like, so I saw Clouds of Sales Maria and thought it was like, just like, like not, I didn't really like it, but I like Kristen Stewart in it. And when I heard that he was making a, fashion set ghost story i was like well that sounds awesome um <laughs> and it was it was really awesome um yeah like um i'm i don't know if his other movies are more like personal shopper or more like cosmos maria but um i would hope that uh that they're more like personal shopper because i i really liked it um if you go back to the episode for Personal Shopper you'll hear that uh, I saw this movie twice <laughs> before we went to review it because I needed to go in and give it a second fair shake um having not necessarily vibed with it the first time um I think the conversation in that episode is really interesting um I I got so much more from it the second time I watched it and it's one of those films that I appreciate more than I like um it's it's saying a lot of interesting things that I very much enjoyed chewing through. Um, and now, like, going back to my words, I made, might have said something that, like, this movie is worth it if you're going to have conversations about it after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're just going to watch it alone, then it's not necessarily anything that would make uh, a super high list for me. Um, but it's an interesting film. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it enough, but not enough to put it on my my list. So now I'm really curious what Carson's two are, if he's proceeding with the haunting vein. I don't want to step on your boom, but can I just ask you if one of them is a ghost story? Uh, No. I did like okay, that movie, wow. though. No, you can't ask? Wow. or <laughs> No, no, no to a ghost story. Um, but oh, okay, so Carson is all surprises. This, as we know, I, as we know I, I, I really like that movie, though. Um, but not on not on here. Cool. Uh, we we know it's not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. No okay, case, so no Carson Casey Patrick. Affleck. No Casey Affleck movies allowed. No Casey yeah. Affleck. No no story movies. Right. Yeah. Did, did we completely avoid Casey Affleck this year? I think we did. I think so. I think Ghost Story was his only movie this year. Mm. Uh, Damn shame. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> All right. Do you want to jump into your number two, Carson? Okay, so this we're kind of stepping away from the horror vibes a little bit, but I say would what I would I would uh, still say that it has elements of that, um, and it's one it's the other movie that uh, I added in late, uh, and that's uh, obviously a Phantom Thread. Yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. That, that was in that was in my guesses for your top two. Just FYI, which is <laughs> which is hilarious. When I told my I told my brother my top three, I was like three Death Note, two Phantom Thread, which has got to be like a complete one eighty. Um, he was like <laughs> laughing, like that's a. I think no one else in the history of film <laughs> criticism has put those two movies. I think he, next was, I think he was laughing at how how ridiculous the uh, the one eighty was on that. 
Um, Name-wise, though, they're very similar if you think about it. Right, right. And again, like, so I would argue that Phantom Thread has a lot of horror elements. I, I mean, it is a, I feel like it is a gothic romance, for starters. Um, there's mm-hmm. a really trippy scene where DDL, like, sees his dead mom, um, which was cool. Um, but mostly, I mean, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. He is one of these directors where... You know, you're counting down the days until we get a new movie from him. And when you see it, you're like, finally, a real fucking movie. Like, this is what I come to see. Um, And, you know, he's reteamed with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis after 10 years. And I hope that in 10 years, he'll reteam with him again. Um, Because I think they're a great pairing. And... um, the movie just, I mean, it looks it looks fantastic. Johnny Greenwood's score, I think, is really fantastic. It plays throughout, like, almost the whole movie. And it really kind of, like, just moves it along. And, um, I mean, we all know that Daniel Day-Lewis is great, but he's really fucking great in this movie. Like, he's so mm-hmm. funny. The movie is, is I guess, I don't want to say surprisingly funny, because I feel like all of PTA's movies are funny in some ways. Um, but man, DDL is hilarious in this movie. Like his sassiness and his just, his um, bluntness, um, you know, not going to lie, very relatable, his character in this movie. Um, <laughs> Sarah even said like, that's fucking you sometimes. Um, now we understand why you hate brunch. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the, oh man there's entirely too much motion there's entirely too much too much fucking anyway um, uh, too much fucking yeah um, no but I mean I could watch Daniel Day-Lewis play sassy fashion designer Reynolds Woodcock all day long man I could have watched a three hour movie I wish it was longer like it was it was one of those movies and again this is a movie that, that has been getting a lot of praise been showing up a lot but I, it's I can't deny it. I can't, you know. I, I almost thought about leaving it off, right? I almost thought about leaving it off just because um, we know it's awesome, but I was like, I can't because it's that good. So, Phantom Thread, Steven, I know you guys saw it, so yeah. yeah. So first, I just wanted to quote a comedian Noah Garfinkel on Twitter that I saw the other day. His tweet was, uh, you can hide virtually anything in the linings of the fabric, like an unwatchable movie. (laughs) Uh, And I disagree with him 100%. Phantom Thread is like a wonderful film. Uh, I think it's only mid-level PTA, but that's only because PTA is so fucking good, right? Yeah, it's hard hard to rank. Yeah, if I were to rank his movies, like this is smack dab you know it, it it isn't there will be blood but i i like it better than punch drunk love even like so it, it, it's a very interesting enigmatic film i think it makes a great companion piece to mother actually as like the version of mother done right where this is about an artist in complete control of his household and the way he kind of torments the other people in it the way people who try to love him are pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled. Only this movie has this really interesting dynamic of how do the people who love him push back? Like, how do you actually find that dynamic and find a way to make it work? And in the end, that's what makes this not just like 
horrifying or dark or nihilistic, but actually like kind of touching and very thought provoking. So yeah, I this was on my list till the very last minute, only because I had faith no matter how esoteric Carson got, he was going to put it on the list. Um, great movie for sure. Like absolutely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, I was a huge fan of it as well. Um, it's one of those things where like my brain was very, very active just following the interactions between the characters and just kind of seeing how somebody can be like theoretically a monster, but also very touching and loving. And there's just, just, Watching the character be obsessed with his work and how that plays against uh, the people in his life and how he interacts with them, it was just it was in it was an incredible watch. Um, de- definitely, like so many times in this movie, it's like, oh, what is happening now? Um, but yeah, it, it was I, I was a huge fan of it, and it's hard to. It's hard to talk about. It's it's one of those things where you just watch it and you're like, that, I, I think that was a really good movie. I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> which I well, so which I guess is kind of surprising, right? Because I feel like you're not really on board the the PTA train. I mean, as far as I know, because I mean, w- you know, you did like Inherent Vice. I know we reviewed The Master, which I know you weren't a fan of. Yeah, and I but don't even, know. Even I don't in, know. In our even in our review of The Master, like talking about it and thinking about it made me appreciate the master on paper. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is probably a good companion piece with the master. Um, but just a very, a much better version of it where it's like, it's the characters are somewhat similar in a way. And I understand, uh, the Reynolds Woodcock character much more than I understand the, the not L Ron Hubbard character from the master. Yeah. So the master is, the my version of what Greenberg is to Noah Baumbach, which is the one film by a director that I love that I just couldn't get into because I didn't connect with any of the characters at all. And I know that's the point. Like, I understand intellectually what The Master is about. Yeah. I just couldn't latch onto it because I I found them, like, so distant and hard to feel. And no other PTA movie has done that for me. Like... Boogie Nights can totally relate to them. Magnolia, I fucking love Magnolia. That might be my number two PTA. And I know that's like an unpopular opinion. It's usually considered like pretty low on his list. Um, Something about the master I couldn't latch onto. Here in Phantom Thread, it should have been the same way because Woodcock is not an empathetic figure for the most part. He is kind of a very cold, distant person. But something about seeing him through the eyes of this woman that has come to live with him makes it so compelling and so interesting. Yeah, and I think the way it opens with you seeing potentially other people who have come to live with him and you're <laughs> seeing the aftermath of how that... So you're yeah, the, watching, the mother opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're watching a new relationship form with the only context you need to understand about this man and his previous relationships. And it's just... it. There's this powerful air to it. Uh, there's a... Um, sense of death, <laughs> um, but, it, but it's, yes. just, it's just really interesting watching the character <clears throat> do what he's going to do and see how uh, the the people respond to that and 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 how they decide to stick with that. Um, yeah, it, it's not very intriguing. <laughs> I mean, I I really love the master and I loved all of his movies and I mean, like I said, it's hard to rank. But I would put this up pretty high. Like, I would put this in the top three. Uh, mm-hmm. There Will Be Blood is still my favorite of his. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, I don't know what I put it number two, but I feel like Phantom Thread is in that top three. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's, and it's again, another movie that I feel like, um, should be getting a, a more awards attention. Um, I thought Leslie Manville as his sister was awesome. Mm-hmm. And she's like nowhere to be seen. Like, I feel like she was, uh, really great. Um, and I guess like, you know, there's like Johnny Greenwood, he's been getting some stuff, but I don't know. Like, I just feel like. I guess you just, like, I don't know, people take it for granted. They're just like, yeah, of course, PTA made another masterpiece. It's like, I don't know, way better than a lot of the other movies nominated. I hope Vicky Creeps, has she been getting any love, at least? Because I think she's really, really great as the love interest in this movie. Her, too, yeah. She hasn't been getting anything. Um, I don't know. I mean, always, I feel like every year my favorite performances are, uh, are always not the ones that the Oscars and stuff choose. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, that's just how it is. Cause they just always have their movies that they pick. And, um, yeah, I don't know, but I feel like, um, uh, the ones that do end up getting nominated and even winning aren't, they don't, they're not as, you know, they're not as iconic or they don't sustain as long as some other performances of the year. Um, I don't know. So, so Chris, yep, (laughs) your number two film of the year. Now, this is interesting because this might determine whether or not we have the same number one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should I get to it then? Yeah. (laughs) All righty. So, my number two film of the year is the Florida Project, Mm. um, which was a film that I feel. (laughs) <laughs> I, I wasn't expect. I didn't think it was going to be top ten worthy. Um, no, it, it was a film. I'm, pr- yeah, I, I liked it the most out of everybody in our review. Right? Yeah, I remember um, that. I just didn't think it was. I was hoping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those films that I was seeing because you guys were talking about the filmmaker, and it was one of those ones where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to check this out. I'm not going to go back and see the first one, but I'll, I'll, I'll check this out and see how it goes. And I was incredibly surprised i mean i I had my problems with the ending (laughs) the very 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 last shot of the film um but like outside of that this is a fantastic film that portrays kids in an amazing light like the everything about this film felt so incredibly real like every every single person in this movie is great um at least in the context of the film um and it was it was one of those stories where like halfway through i was like this might not be going anywhere and i love this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's definitely uh usually i have criticisms of a film where i'm like oh well it, 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 i don't i don't like i've i've made the statement this film like a film doesn't justify its own existence as like being a story that needed to be tell, told and like i was on board halfway through this film just going like if this if this doesn't go anywhere i don't care this film yeah. is great <laughs> yeah i florida project is to me, what um, Personal Shopper was to Chris, I think, which is a film that I I love what it is. I recognize what it is. I'm really happy that what it is is out there in the ethos. For me, in the evening that I watched it, in the just particular mood I was in, it pushed the the line of naturalism a little bit too far. It pushed it to the point where I couldn't fully engage in it. But like, 
it's hard to think of a movie this year that I've more enjoyed looking back on and being glad that it's getting attention because I just think, like, I love Tangerine. Carson didn't like Tangerine, I don't think. Uh, Chris hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, I just think the director, Sean Baker, has such a big heart and he has such an... He has this interesting knack for going into a community and a world that we never would have thought of and convincing us to empathize with it. And I think, like, The Florida Project does that wonderfully. I think regardless of whether or not this film made my list, Willem Dafoe is, like, so well worth a Best Supporting Actor nod. I'm oh, almost yeah. sad that, like, Sam Rockwell is kind of crowding him out as much as I love Sam Rockwell because this is just such a a big-hearted, open film. And it, I, was, I was scrolling through photos today of uh, Brooklyn Prince meeting other actresses from different uh, award ceremonies and she was like taking Instagram photos and captioning them and it was the <laughs> cutest fucking thing in the world I oh god I I love the yes. idea of this movie a lot and I like that this movie is getting praise even though for me it didn't it didn't totally jibe in a way that would have justified a slot like this yeah well, I mean well we all we uh dumb, we, dumb wiener kids dumb wiener yeah it's just, Oh, so Carson, I need to send you a photo of uh, Brooklyn Prince with Jacob Tremblay taking oh, a picture together. That's not, I was gonna, that sounds awful. Oh, man. Oh, but you know what? You know how you, you can judge if a movie's in the zeitgeist if it's popular? If Jacob Tremblay Instagrams about it. <laughs> like, when when It came out, he, he had like a, a, a picture of him like there on opening day. And I was like, it's going to be fucking huge, man. <laughs> that's how you know he's like the groundhog <laughs> right right if jacob tremblay approves then it's gonna be great uh it's gonna be a hit um yeah. um no i mean like obviously if you listen to the review i don't like this movie but uh <laughs> now is not the time for us shitting on a movie let's, let's just, enjoy chris liking the movie I, again i'll just say that i like i really like willem dafoe in it and i wanted yeah. more of him yeah yeah I mean him, him and him and this, or him and Death Note. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff this year. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was great in the in Death Note. He's just doing like a a mocap thing. Like he's basically just doing yeah. a voice voice role. But he was I, I will, he was fun I, in I, that too. I will say too that like the great thing about his performance in um, in the Florida Project is I mean, this is going to sound maybe dumb, but I feel like. Usually when Willem Dafoe is there in any film, I'm like, ha, it's Willem Dafoe. And this, he felt like another person who looks like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> there, there was something that felt more real and less character-y than his roles usually um, provide. Um, and I just, I, it was, I, I don't want to say he was unrecognizable because obviously he's, he's a very recognizable person. But he just seemed like something other than what he normally seems. All right, so here we go. I'm, just, I'm not even going to bother with the timers for our number one films. We yep. can just we can just do this. Stephen Miller, start us off. Your number one film of 2017. All right, so this might be a swing and a miss for me guessing it is Christopher Schnazy's as well, but I'm just going to go for it and invite you, if it is, for us to just share this conversation <laughs> rather than repeating it in five minutes. Uh -huh. um, my number one film of the year is a movie called Good Time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's <laughs> what I, was I was gonna say. We haven't heard Good Time yet. No. Um, uh, this is just proof to me that uh, Twilight actors have done all right in 2017. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Um, I can't even 
really describe why this movie is great. This is one of the few this year that I didn't do any written review of. I have nothing to look at now to try to remember how I felt. It, it's just a a simple, very atmospheric story of one man over one evening trying to get his brother out of jail. Uh, it's a journey that unfolds almost in real time. Not quite, but it feels like it. It's very... I don't know. It's a, it's an electrifying film. It is all mood, all atmosphere. Robert Pattinson is phenomenal in this movie, and it it just hit me in a way that no other movie this year hit me, and I haven't found anything like it since. Yeah, um, I like Carson likes to tease us about going to the Alamo Draft House, um, but if it weren't for the Alamo Draft House, I may have not seen this film. Um, it was one of those things where like. Steven was like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of excited to check out this film. And I was like, what film is that? And like, I watched the trailer and I was like, eh, it looks all right. Like, it was just a film that I would have completely passed over, not even thought about doing. I, feel like, doing. I feel like you would have seen it eventually because Steven or I would have seen it and we would have said it's awesome. Yeah, I think you should have said it. Or, or me, other actually. people, <laughs> other people, but, you know, maybe. Uh, but but I just mean, I just mean in a vacuum, I would have mm-hmm. just like written it off and been like, oh, maybe one day. Um, but uh, Alamo was doing one of their <laughs> one of their screenings um, with a Q and A, and I was like, "Well, why the fuck not?" And I saw it, and I walked into that movie, and I was like, "This is probably my <laughs> my favorite film of the year." Yeah. And unless something really gnarly comes out, this is probably going to stick like that the whole year. And when I sat down to make my list, I was like, "Landline Ten. Good time, number one. And we'll figure out the rest of this. (laughs) I think this is definitely a film that has one of the best credit roles I've seen in a very long time. 100%. Uh, There's a certain confidence to making a movie that is going big, going energetic, very kind of adrenaline-filled, that knows how to end on almost dead silence. I think that very few filmmakers can pull it off. You need to really be in control of the tone of your film. And I think the, the Safdie brothers just knew exactly what story they wanted to tell. And it, it just leaves you with like a long exhale at the end of this film. Like, all right, we just watched that. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like the, the, the love of these brothers and like the, the, however it is that they grew up, like watching them interact with each other just once again, feels so authentic and so true. I shouldn't necessarily care about a story of characters like this. Like, they're not, quote-unquote, good people, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, you watch this and you're like, oh, no, like, I'm 100% supportive of, like, like, characters do bad things, too, like, in the course of the movie. But, like, you understand the drive behind every single action they do. Um, Music's badass in this movie. There's, like, every every ounce of this film is so confident. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I can't believe I almost didn't watch this movie. Because it was, like, instantly, like, halfway through it, I was like, first of all, like, I think in the opening scene, I was like, this is fucking Carson's going to love this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, OPN on the score, I think, like, close number two for best score of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I know Carson made fun of me for some of the comps I drew to this film in our review. Uh, but I stand by it. I think this has the same kind of atmospheric, 
city nightlife brooding that makes me love Lost in Translation. I'm like, we oh, watched yeah. that. We watched Lost in Translation in the Alamo Draft House at some point this year, and I thought about Carson's criticism yeah. of me. Um, I wasn't I really. I it. wasn't criticizing. I, I know you were just teasing was, me, but it was I, an on-brand, okay. I think other brand statement. Yeah, other comparisons would be like tons of 70s flicks, you know, it's Taxi Driver, any Scorsese film that takes place at night. This is just a movie that loves... It, it's kind of a fitting companion piece to my favorite film of last year, American Honey. This is a film that loves diving into kind of the seedy, less than perfect subcultures of the world and letting them tell their story and not really judging, not really trying to form a big narrative out of it, just letting you follow them and saying... You're going to watch this person go through their life with their priorities. They might be fucking up 100%, but you are going to feel it with the arc that you would have felt had you gone through this journey. And I just think that that is a really cool thing for filmmaking to do, and I I was really happy to have that here. Yeah, I mean, the movie is super rad. Um, Two things. One, uh, I'm all in. I've I've purchased all my stock on the Safdie Brothers. (laughs) Um, I've, I've, I went back between seeing good time. And now I went back and watched heaven knows what I hadn't seen that yet. And that movie just is great too. I mean, good time. I like better, but you could see the, the strings, you know, where you're just like, they're, they're one to watch for sure. Um, and I feel like they have completely cornered the market on intensely dramatic scenes that go down in the bathrooms of fast food restaurants. Um, (laughs) Like heaven knows what half the movie is people in like a McDonald's bathroom, just fucking freaking out. Uh, Buddy duress. Who's in good time is also in uh, heaven knows what. Uh, And, and it has like a very, they do the similar uh, credits roll, right? Where they're rolling the credits over like a scene and it's just buddy duress, like flipping out in a McDonald's. That's great. Um, that's not really a spoiler, but uh, <laughs> it, it happens. Um, Sorry, and, I don't have to bleep that out. No, 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 no. It's like, uh, no. But uh, yeah, like really intense. Like the score in that movie, like Good Time was very intense and stuff. So I'm I'm all in on that. You know, we talk about, um, uh, you know, we talk about how, you've uh, talked about how I'm like, most times when they announce like remakes of things, I'm like, you know, not on board, but there are sometimes, you know, when you get somebody behind it with a vision, I'm like, yes, I'm all in. So the Safdie brothers have got a remake. Well, they say it's not a remake, but they've got a remake of 48 hours coming up. So mm. I'm like, hell yeah, I want to see that. Of course. Um, so again, that's just like, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, oh, well, the the other thing was like, you know, I was talking about like the, the Oscars and how like most of the time the performances that get overlooked are really the ones that end up being a lot more memorable and, and iconic. And I think Robert Pattinson, terrific in this movie. Also, another movie that um, I had on my list before Phantom Thread came along was Lost City of Z, which he was in and really terrific in, too. Yeah, I almost caught that right before making this list, and I just barely couldn't squeeze it in because it's too fucking long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but that movie is that movie's epic. And uh, again, I was a big fan of The Immigrant, so I feel like James Gray redeemed himself on this one. I've liked his other movies, but The Immigrant wasn't a big fan of. But anyway, uh, I, I feel like, you know, for as great as Arpats is, 
uh, Benny Safdie in this movie. Hell yeah. I was good. See, I was going to mention that after I said, you know, Leslie Manville and Phantom Thread, but I didn't want to spoil what I'm sure was coming soon. Um, so <laughs> Benny Safdie, though, like definitely one of my favorites this year. And, and uh, yeah, totally, totally blew me away. I mean, almost pretty much steals the movie from Robert Pattinson and he's not really in it that much. He's not in it yeah, as much as Robert Pattinson. Not a professional actor to my knowledge, right? Like no. he, like I think they were going to find someone else to play this character. Yeah. And they just kind of decided like we know what the character is supposed to be and we would feel a little irresponsible if we let someone else try to overdo it. So we're just going to like keep it in the family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but really I mean that was uh yeah, like to me, that was an, a Wordsworthy performance. Mm. Yeah, and every, so everything in this movie too, I feel like could be up for that. But yeah, yeah. so I, I didn't plan on doing this, but I like it's fitting that this now lets Carson his number one be the final word on the top ten of the spoiler warning podcast. I have no idea what it's going to be now. <laughs> I've ruled out all the things that I thought fit with haunting that Carson might put on his list. Um, Carson Patrick, what was you your don't, number one? You know, Chris doesn't have a guess. I feel like I've mentioned it several times on the show already, but um, number one came out in February, and immediately after we saw it, Sarah and I were like, "That's number one movie of the year for sure. There's nothing else that's going to top that." And that's obviously Gore Verbinski's A Cure for Wellness. Ah, yeah, I remember now. Um, Dane DeHaan is the lead in this movie, and he's awesome. Um, he, you know, the the premise, I think, is a great one, which, you know, he is, uh, he is sent off to a European relaxation spa in the mountains, and there's a lot of sinister shit going on. Um, and uh, Dane DeHaan spends half the movie in crutches, and he's like a total cricket? ass. Yeah, cricket. He's back on crutches, <laughs> dude. I mean, Dane DeHaan does some great crutch acting in this. Um, and uh, I totally, I didn't even think about that. He's an expert on it. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but his character is like a total asshole, and like he still makes you root for him and just enjoy everything on screen uh that he does but mainly the thing that i that i love so much about this movie is that it's a total go for broke movie like this movie is just gonzo from the beginning right up to the end like i there wasn't another movie this year where i was just didn't know how like where it starts i didn't expect it to end where it does um and the movie is like the movie is ep like the movie's two and a half hours long, and so they really get to dwell on a lot of the the imagery and the vibes of it. And I feel like they build really well, or you know, he builds really well on on to the finale of it. Um, and you know, I, Gore Verbinski is one of these guys, like one of these directors that has always done like a lot of of un interesting stuff. You know, I like how he can do like the big pirates movies and Rango, and uh, I like how he went from Mouse Hunt to The Ring. 
Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I love that he like has all these different movies in his arsenal, um, and kind of s- seeing him go back to horror, I thought was exciting. Um, that got me excited about the movie when I when I heard it was happening, because I feel like you know the movie was well received when it came out, but I feel like people kind of forget like how influential and great the his remake of The Ring was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like they, they're still ripping off that movie. Like, I saw that stupid Slenderman trailer, and I was like, this is fucking The Ring. Like, <laughs> Paramount yeah. should fucking sue. Um, yeah, and so, like, um, that visual sense is, like, on display, but, like, tenfold in this movie. Um, and I, and um, kind of seeing him go back to a little more smaller horror scale was kind of like, watching Sam Raimi go back to horror after he did, you know, three big Spider-Man movies and then he pulled out drag me to hell. And that was just like one of the best things ever to see. Um, and this, this was kind of like that same reaction where I had, where it was like, it felt really nice to have him go back and do, uh, this kind of movie. Um, and I, it's insane to me that this was made on a $40 million budget because it looks like $240 million. Um, and it's just one of those movies where, you know, they let him, they let him do what he wanted and it's a, a studio put it out and it's, it's, I applaud them for doing it. It, it does a lot of, it's a, a lot more risky, um, than anything in mother. Like, you know, people were applauding that for being like, Oh, I'm glad the studio put that out. Like, I feel like a cure for wellness is way, way weirder and riskier than anything in mother. Um, and I feel like it's definitely going to be a movie that gets reevaluated down the road because there's just so much memorable stuff in it. Like it's just everything about it from the music to the, the imagery to the actors in it. Um, it's all very memorable. It's all stuff that like I want to see when I go to a movie. Um, and like the, the, just the, the, one of the things I remembered was like the, the, the crazy visual sense, like, Fucking Gore Verbinski, like, has one scene where he literally shoots a master in the reflection of a uh, taxidermy taxidermy deer's eye. Like, and, like, that's the kind of visual shit you're getting in this movie. So it's, like, really just um, fun to watch. And uh, there's a... There's a... Um, there's a dental scene in the movie that's, like, the <laughs> the most horrifying dental scene... I think uh, is up there with the one in like Marathon Man, um, <laughs> with, with Dustin Hoffman getting his teeth pulled and shit. Uh, so yeah, a lot of great stuff in this movie. And I, like I said, when when it was over, like Sarah and I both were like, "It's definitely number one movie, no question." So two two things in honor of Carson Patrick. One, I promise. If this movie is streamable, I'm going to watch it this weekend, and we'll, I'll give a little review in the next episode of how I feel. I know a lot of times Carson's top tens don't necessarily get follow through from me and Chris. Uh, I'm going to give you a <laughs> I cure still for wellness. I watch the Crazy Tank movie. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, White Tiger. Yeah, hell yeah. The second one I wanted to bring in is I pulled up the IMDb of this movie like just to refresh myself on what it was about, and the first user review I saw... The very end of it says, and I quote, it kind of reminded me of Shutter Island. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much like a, a Shutter Island. 
I did fans, think of that. Fans live the spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is funny because I did think of that because I was like, it is kind of like Dane DeHaan, Shutter Island. Um, you know. Um, and um, now I don't even remember. Oh, well, I just thought to, just to just to give some props, more props to Dane DeHaan. Um, Valerian missed the cut, but that's definitely in the top 20. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know if I don't know if Cure for Wellness is uh I mean you can you can rent it, it's that kind of streamable, but I don't think it's on like Netflix or uh Amazon Prime. You know. We'll we'll just we'll just only order we'll we'll split a prosciutto pizza next time. <laughs> <laughs> then we can afford to rent it. That was the yeah. that was the joke. Right. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh cool. yeah. Well, I think that is our top tens of the year. I know that uh, Stephen has been talking about how hard, hard it was to make his list, and I think he has a few things he wants to mention. Uh, Carson, feel free to mention any runners-up for your list um, if you want, but we'll start with Steve. Uh, yeah, Stephen. Yeah, and the, you know, we don't, this doesn't need to go all night. We can just rattle through them. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of them were already mentioned by people. Phantom Thread, of course, was great. Get Out was phenomenal. Um, Dunkirk was great. Some that were shockingly not mentioned here, I might have squeezed them in if I knew that was going to happen. Uh, I, Tanya, I really enjoyed I, Tanya. I think yeah. people are emphasizing Margot Robbie, but I think the filmmaking as a whole, the way it tells this narrative, it reminded me a lot of that movie Tower. I don't know if you guys ever saw it. It was my number two last year, I think. Mm. It was a documentary that was then reconstructed oh, yeah, and yeah, reenacted yeah. by actors. Uh, I, Tanya does something very similar, and I think the, the way it plays with storytelling and breaking the fourth wall is really interesting and i haven't quite seen that done before um blade runner 2049 shocked that this didn't get mentioned anywhere uh, if i were going to pick a big budget movie to praise this year like blade runner would have been it that movie was gorgeous looking i am a full-on denevil new fanboy now uh, i know i hated on sicario i have not disliked any other thing i've seen of his if i watch sicario again now i'm probably gonna love it um <laughs> sicario 2 soldado uh, yeah i, I <laughs> A ghost story, we talked about it briefly. Uh, I thought that was a chilling movie. Didn't quite make my list, but like really interesting, cool. Obviously, Lady Bird, the big six, stronger. Uh, movies that Carson is going to hate me for mentioning, uh, The Lovers. I did really enjoy oh, The Lovers, man. actually. Uh, I liked it a lot. I think I just liked Tracy Letts, but I thought that movie was like really entertaining and sobering, and I enjoyed it. Uh, Columbus, I know, Carson, roll your eyes. <laughs> I didn't put it on my list, but it is an honorable mention for yeah, me. The Lovers, um, Columbus, were... They are brutal. That's yeah. just, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then just in the documentary front, uh, Let It Fall is another movie I saw very recently. That's a movie about the L.A. riots. Um, I think it's the 25th anniversary now, so a bunch of documentaries are coming out about that. Uh, this was made by John Ridley, who's the screenwriter for 12 Years a Slave. And this is really interesting. He got people from pretty much every side of the L.A. riots, including the people who actually committed some of the beatings that eventually became the the LA4 that got put in jail. Um, really interesting if you're into that, especially if you like the OJ documentary last year and want to learn more about that whole situation. I think just a very well-constructed documentary does a good job of making you wait till the very end before learning who is talking to you and what is the relevance of why they're there. So those are it for me. I'm sure there are like a crap load more that I could talk about. Molly's Game was super awesome too, but I'm, <laughs> I've, I've said enough. Cousin Patrick. I mean, yeah, I agree with most of those. Uh, I, I joke. I briefly flirted with the idea of doing a top ten list that was only Blade Runner twenty forty nine because it is, 
in a complete league of its own. Uh, obviously, another studio movie that was way more risk-taking and weirder than Mother. Um, but yeah, of course, that was a that was a given. Um, I completely enjoyed that movie. Um, I thought it was a worthy follow-up. Um, you know, and usually when <clears throat> when we get sequels to like movies like years and years and decades later, you know, they usually suck, but this one didn't. I um, uh, can't remember. Oh, well, uh, I'm kind of surprised this was not, but John Wick 2, awesome. Like that's yeah. a, yeah. Yeah, John Wick 2 is great. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned King Arthur yet. <laughs> I That was also my next one. King Arthur, definitely on there. Also, Atomic Blonde, I thought was great, too. Uh, I still don't understand how Chris thought it was a narrative over uh, substance, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, I, I really enjoyed that one. But yeah, King Arthur, oh man, for sure. King Arthur was, was so, so fun. Uh, like I said, Valerian, uh, I really love Split, um, Free Fire. Did and we mention Baby Driver yet? Baby Driver, of course, yeah. Um, uh, I thought I thought Girls Trip was hilarious. Tiffany Haddish in that, also uh, one of my favorite performances this year. Uh, again, she should be just cleaning up every award. I think the New York Times or somebody gave her the supporting for that. But everyone else is just like, Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird. It's like, whatever. No one's going to remember that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that was... Oh, Ingrid Goes West, too. Like that I totally forgot that movie even existed when yeah. making my list. <laughs> I, I had fun with it, but it definitely wasn't something that would make... Uh, my, it wasn't in contention for making my list. It was just one that I liked. Oh, uh, Call Me By Your Name. I didn't, I didn't mention that. That was a movie that like was hovering near the list. It was never quite on it for me. I think Timothy Chalamet is super great in that movie, even if I think the story itself has some flaws. It doesn't go all in, but that like that is another movie that gnawed at me for a long time after leaving the theater. Yeah. I think the only thing that I saw that hasn't really been mentioned yet that I enjoyed a lot was a little film called Super Dark Times. Um, which, oh, uh, yeah. Well, you see, I was going to mention that when I talked about Boys in the Trees, but I thought maybe you'd have that on, so I didn't want to spoil. But, oh, gotcha. uh, but yeah, Super Dark Times, uh, I thought uh, Boys in the Trees was the better version of that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's that's a more reason for me to check out Boys in the Trees. Um, yeah. I, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't hate Super Dark Times. I thought it was all right, but again, it was another movie that I thought there were other movies that did it better like not just boys in the trees because i hadn't seen that yet but like mean creek and river's edge movies like that i thought were were uh better examples but uh yeah once i saw boys in the trees i was like oh this is this is where it's at compared to that can i give a, can I give a shout out to the the biggest tonal misfire of the year for me uh, that was a film called Battle of the Sexes, which I watched oh, <laughs> on an airplane flying back over here. That is one of those movies that if you had just done it on autopilot, give the 70s feeling, let us watch this tennis battle, it would have been fine, right? Like, it would have been a totally passable, great biopic. And instead, it it not only steers into this kind of lesbian romance aspect, which is fine. Like, you know, you can you can tell that story if you want. But it does it in a very weird, like kind of it almost felt like a comic way like it, it was so totally out of touch it was like watching a um 
an herbal essences commercial or something <laughs> where all of a sudden like the music changes and someone's just like rubbing her hair out of nowhere. It, oh, what yeah. a fucking weird movie. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it was weird, but I didn't. I did not like that movie. I thought it was super generic, um, generic like sports biopic type of movie. Um, but the look was fire. They shot it on film. It, lo- it really looked like the time period. Sure, yeah, it, lo- it looked like it was yeah. made in the seventies. You, you could say the same sure. about uh, that Bobby Fischer movie from two years ago too. <laughs> Wait, which one was that? The the Toby Maguire. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was like the same Pond, deal. Pond sacrifice. Pond yeah, sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah, that was yeah. the same deal. Where like I didn't like the movie, but I thought it looked really good. Like, this could have phoned it in and been Pond sacrifice like pretty easily. They yeah. just made some really bewildering decisions. I don't, I was shocked by like how tonally they missed the mark, given how easy it would have been to tell this story. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I thought the most interesting thing. The most interesting thing about After Battle of the Sexes for me was finding out that Billie Jean King was an investor in Discovery Zone. <laughs> that is interesting. Dude, Discovery so, Zone. Discovery yeah. Zone. I haven't thought about that place in forever. I know, and I was like, man, I want to see that movie for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't think there was really anything else. Uh, I'm sure there is, but I can't say. Oh, I, I mean, I agree about I, Tanya, which uh, also Craig Gillespie directed. Australian. There, there you go. There it all you, comes full circle. Oh, it does. I, I, I would not be at all upset if Margot Robbie took home the like Francis McDormand was great in Three Billboards, but I think Margot Robbie has a more difficult task. I know it's like more outwardly showy, kind of like Gary Oldman versus yeah. picking some other lead actor. But yeah. God damn it, I like outwardly showy. I think she like she so inhabits this character. If you go back and watch interviews of Tanya Harding afterwards, it. It's it's something. Yeah, she also learned yeah. how to skate, right? No, skate. <laughs> <laughs> totally practical effects. I mean, all the skating in that movie. Yeah, she, it was kind of funny, really like watching the way. Like, I, I want to see footage of her just like, like shuffling her feet back and forth and like waving her arms <laughs> while they're cutting between her and a real skater. Mm. Yeah, she definitely she pulled it off. I mean, she'd be my pick for for best actress uh, for sure. But uh, yeah. I don't know. What are you going to do? Cool. Um, well, I think, uh, I think it's probably going to do it for this episode. Uh, so should we do the normal closeout, guys? Alrighty. Don't see why not. Cool. Uh, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Carson Patrick, this is your theoretical last time to give people a place to find you. Uh, I, I have no place to be found. Um, but, uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to, uh, listening for a while and seeing someone else step in. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we can get like Joanna's hot take on something. I'm just naming other people. I don't yeah, know. We, we can just do a, a, a retroactive review of problem child. Like she's been requesting for so long, <laughs> which problem problem child Great, great fucking movie. Problem Child 2 is also good. Not as good as the first, but still good. I'm just excited that Carson is going to double our listener count now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that guy's gone? Oh, I'm going to tune in now. Oh, no, I'm just saying by becoming a listener, you're going to double the count. Oh, right, right, yeah. Of course, duh. Duh. Yeah, b- before your your one listen didn't count for anything because you were Yeah, us listening, we're just spot checking. Yeah, that doesn't count. That doesn't count, right? 
Uh, but yeah, people can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Uh, music for this episode will come from something. Um, so <laughs> you're listening to that something right now. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I mean, yes, it's been, it's been many a year, Carson. We've, we've had our Hannahs. We've had our Planets of the Apes. <laughs> we've had all of our, <laughs> our fun battles back and forth. Um, but it has been a pleasure. Um, door is always open. Just let us know when you want to come back. And you can have a suite with special guest Carson Patrick <laughs> attached oh, to the episode. Of course, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I don't want to make it seem too dramatic or anything, but, you know. To the, the, the chapter marker, it'll be like, Carson drops a bomb! <laughs> bomb bombshell! <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then we'll start a, a, a Patreon to bring you back. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please! Help! But yeah, seriously though, just let us know. Uh, there's something that that yeah. tickles your fancy. Uh, no, I, I, I will, I will. I, like I said, it'll probably be something sooner rather than later, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or, or maybe we'll give you a little Carson's Corner segment. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Every episode ends with... <laughs> a re-review of Pan by Carson. Oh, yeah, let's reevaluate Pan, man. Yeah. <clears throat> That deserves a reevaluation. <laughs> I it, it bummed me out that Joe Wright like kind of poo pooed it. Uh, oh, oh! I don't even know if we're still recording, but the other movie—it's <laughs> recording. I don't know how much of this will actually. Yeah, be I don't in know the I, if uh, this. I don't know if this will make it in, but um, another movie that got reamed, but is a total honorable mention, is um, the the Fassy classic, The Snowman. Um, Are you serious? I, I still, I wanted to, I genuinely wanted to see yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I,